The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young, but had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Everything is scarier in Russian. It is uh, 7 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of October. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along and enjoying this excursion into amusement and terror. It is uh, 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503 503- 733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, ponderings, musings, uh, observations in iambic pentameter, whatever it is you have. It's 503 You can also email if you like. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at RickEmerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, Tim at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. And today the secret word is butt slammed. It's 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol is standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along uh, whatever it is you got today. All right, uh, on today's agenda, we have seen a radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins, who is joining us today from, well, still in Kansas City. Uh, so, Kansas City, Missouri. Lisa Desjardins joining us today. She'll also be part of our election night coverage, which is coming up one, two, three, five days from now. 
Uh, next Tuesday, November 4th, 7 p.m., live at Grand Central Bowl in beautiful southeast Portland. Uh, News Director Tim Riley broadcasting election results all night long. We'll be there along with the Willamette Week, the Oregon Bus Project. It's all very exciting. Uh, so Lisa Desjardins joining us today from Kansas City, Missouri. Bob Costantini joining us from Columbus, Ohio. Steve, boy, they get to go to all the fun places this election season. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum joining us from, I guess he's still in, freaking World Series is over and they won't let him leave. He's still there. Anyway, we'll talk to uh, Steve, whose hellish torment has come to a conclusion in uh, Philadelphia, PA. Uh, What else? Top five. Well, you just heard an aborted attempt at the top five about nine minutes ago, and we couldn't figure out why. Because Richie Bristol is the one, in addition to all of his other job duties, Richie Bristol is the one who assembles the, the recap every day. And so just here at the top of the hour, we were hearing him play back the part of yesterday's show where we tried to do the top five, and then, of course, it all fails. And I couldn't figure out why he was doing it. There's two reasons. One, for the great moment where Tim just looks at his watch and announces matter-of-factly, we won't have time, I have to go. Uh, which was immediately followed up by that great family guy thing with the uh, butt slammed. That's going to be my new uh, You've Got Mail sound. So every time I get some sort of a, like a new mail message upstairs, it's going to be butt slammed. It's great. Uh, what else? Top five coming up today. We will get to that in the one o'clock hour. Uh, exit poll. We'll do another election exit poll. I got my ballot that I still have to fill out. I can do it up until up until eight o'clock on Tuesday, right? Because I can actually drop it off. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So actually, there's a drop-off place right next to uh, Grand Central. That's right. So there is. All like right. a block away. Because you haven't voted either, have you? No. All right. I dropped mine off last night while I was picking up my garments for election night. Because you're a good citizen, Tim. I try to be. Hey, Richie, do you vote? I guess not. Okay. Yeah, we know Thanks. the answer to that. Thanks so much. Uh, let's see what else. It is High Concept Thursday, uh, Halloween edition, so we'll do that today and uh, so forth. Oh, and, we'll, and of course, I mean, because really, when are you going to get a chance to do this ever again? We'll recap an infomercial that filled the airwaves last night from one of the leading presidential candidates. Hmm. So, did you watch it? I did. Sarah, did you watch Obama's infomercial? I did indeed. All right. Uh, so we will discuss that here in just a moment, plus your phone calls. Dorothy Carcassari for the National Enquirer. And more. Uh, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Thursday. The Northeast Portland neighbor takes out a house fire with a garden hose. Obama's trying to buy the election, say the McCain people. Meanwhile, the McCain camp is trying to scapegoat Sarah Palin. Of course, that television program was held last night, and Obama was on the Daily Show right after the infomercial. Uh, American Express is cutting 7,000 jobs. Not so with ExxonMobil. They boast their biggest quarter ever. With over $14 billion in profits. A Huffington Post writer is charged with stabbing her ex-lover 200 times. A Fisher-Price doll is garnering controversy for allegedly uttering Muslim phrases. A Texas man is jailed after he ate from his girlfriend's buffet plate. 23% of Texans still think Obama is a Muslim. All right, there. There you go. Lots of new Texas is a new Florida, Tim. It is. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about... uh about this story, except just to read this one little phrase here. Let's see, where did it go? This is a story from Texas. Uh, let's see, blah, blah, blah. University of Texas poll to be released today. Uh, shows presidential candidate John McCain leading by a comfortable margin in Texas. Here we go. But 23% of Texans are convinced that Democratic presidential nominee Barack Obama is a Muslim. So there you go. Bam. 
Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello, how are you today? Hello, I'm doing all right. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm butt slammed. Uh, yeah, that Obama thing last night was really interesting. It was. I have a whole lot of notes about it. Um, so I got, a, I got a whole page uh, full of stuff. I have to say this. You know, the thing about the uh, about the Obama thing last night is it really is... I think more than anything else, it was. I think it was just sort of a show of strength at how much money he has. That must have been it. Because, I mean, that, how much does a half an hour of primetime network commercial... Cost now. I mean, I can't. Sure. Even, I can't even imagine how much he must have had to pay. For well, that. I mean, I think it just showed smart marketing because every, you know, they all got campaign contributions. Of course, Obama got a lot more, but right. I mean, and he's just like, I'm gonna take all the money that everyone donated and put it toward this specific project. So I think right. that was really smart on his part. So did you watch it? Now were you by yourself, or are you doing another one of your? I was over. Yeah, I was over at my friend Lisa's house. I was with Lisa and her husband Brian and my friend Heather, and yeah, so we all watched it together, and it was it was pretty darn inspiring. I think he did a pretty good job. Did you just say pretty darn inspiring? It was pretty darn inspiring, I have to say. Uh, and then, yeah, and then watching him with Bill Clinton afterward was really interesting as boy, well. Well, you know, I, here's the thing: Bill Clinton, you, you, I mean, even though he's, obviously his voice was a little hoarse last night, and he's, you know, obviously doesn't quite have the zeal and spark that he did when he was out on the campaign trail in '92 as a candidate or whatever. Bill Clinton's still a fantastic speaker, and boy, do people just love him. I mean, I mean, he is the closest thing I think to a saint. In the Democratic Party that we've had in the last, uh, you know, what, 30 years, right? Because before that, it was the Kennedys. Yes. But, I mean, you know, so. All right. He is, I would say, Tim, let me ask you this. You're a New Englander. Would you say that, in terms of comparison, would you say that the Democratic Party's Reagan, is that JFK or Clinton or someone else? Who is the Reagan of the of the Democratic Party, in your opinion? The Reagan of the Democratic Party? Yeah, just in terms of, you know, because Reagan is, I mean, really, I mean, every time you see Ronald Reagan, it's just nothing, I mean, they do everything but put a halo on him. Had to be Roosevelt. You think? Yeah. All right. So there you go. So, so then I guess Clinton is the, maybe there is no analog to Bill Clinton. Anyway, great speech, though. He, he would have been if Kennedy had lived. I, I think Clinton is like the Kennedy who lived. Right. All right. That, that's the closest comparison. Uh, um, so we are now, what, five days away? Yes, when I'm Thursday, very Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So coming up next Tuesday, November 4th, 7 p.m., Grand Central Bowl, uh, our political party is going to be happening along with the Willamette Week, uh, Willamette Week and the Oregon Bus Project. Uh, our fine sponsors, Pals Books uh, at Cedar Hills Crossing, Taboo Adult Video. We're going to be broadcasting all night. Tim will be doing updates, news, interviews, happenings, what have you. Um, so do come on out for that. We will have a live, long-form election coverage on this station all night, starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday. It's all very thrilling and gripping. And it's very pretty outside now with the uh, the fall colors. Maybe not in your neighborhood. <laughs> That was a very it non- is. I saw some of your pictures, Tim. Those are really pretty. The non sequitur yeah. observation. No, uh, I was just wondering why there was no response. Yes, it's beautiful everywhere I look. And you just sat there like, apparently it is not. No, no, no. I, I was saw a homeless man peeing on my house today. <laughs> <laughs> See, so there's two things. One is, I couldn't quite tell if you were done or if you were leading up to a secondary or tertiary, observ- tertiary observation after the leaves changing. And then you were right on to maybe it doesn't look that great in my neighborhood, which is immediately followed by Sarah saying she saw a homeless guy peeing on her house. Oh, see, I, I posted some, a picture on my website that's looking out of my front window. That's not your neighborhood. Yes, it is. Is it? Yes. What do you, you know? All right, well, whatever. Look, where Tim, look, at, look at Tim's neighborhood. Well, it's on my webpage at RileyLive.com. That doesn't it. exist that in looks Oregon. Like a, seriously, that's, that's like, like New a, England. That's I know, like that's a, what it reminds me of. That's one of those that's photos that's in the frame. When you go to when you go to Fred Meyer and buy a picture frame, that's one uh-huh. of those photos that's in the frame. That's your neighborhood? Yeah. That's looking out out through my front yard. What? 
That's your front yard? My front yard would be on the other side of the house. You know, you really are how the other half lives. Though, you know, there's that phrase, well, how does the other half live? You are the other half. Well, that's pretty, isn't it? Right. Do people make a I lot of... I wouldn't even know where to find a house like that oh. in Portland. I don't think you'd be allowed to find a house like that. I think they probably I'll keep... You where <laughs> they keep security ringing the neighborhood to keep out the rabble, Sarah. Notice I, I didn't let any numbers be illustrated on any of these areas. Lest, lest anybody... Lest or that, any license plates. It was like that guy who called up the other day and was saying... He's like, well, you know, a friend of mine knows uh, where you live, and so since you were going door-to-door to thank listeners, we thought we'd come to your house and thank you for doing the show. So... Yes, I would keep any and all identifying information about your residence out of that photograph. Richie's been to my house before. Well, you I'm, have, too, a long time ago. I was at your house once. That's I don't remember it. anything about it, though. Don't you remember that, looking out the window in the no. front yard? No, I don't. Here's the thing about your house. All I remember is that it was really uh, incredibly tastefully appointed. It was really clean. But I don't really remember anything else. It is almost as though when one goes into or leaves your house, you're hit with one of those men in black, like, laser things that blanks out your memory. Because here's the thing. I couldn't find my way back to your house if you put a gun to my head. I mean, if my life depended on it, I couldn't figure out where you live again. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's like one of those spy movies where they kidnap the guy and then they put him in the trunk of the car and then he wakes up in a room somewhere, but he doesn't know where he is or how he got there, like in sneakers. That's kind of how your place is. I remember your house looking really great. I have no idea where it is. So they could drive me around. I, really, Sydney Poitier could put me in a truck and drive me around all day long, and I'd never find. No, it, it is true. People don't know that neighborhood is there. Yeah, that's a, it's a you. You live in a. Uh, you live in sort of one of those hidden valley places, Tim. Yes. All right. Uh, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Hey, before we do anything else, we'll. Uh, I'm going to read just a little bit of this worst story ever. So we can get out of the way before the lunch hour. Then we'll talk a bit about the Obama infomercial last night. Then we'll break. We'll have Lisa Desjardins coming up. It's all very exciting. I'm just going to read this now because, A, if I put it off, I'm going to forget about it. B, because I don't want to wait. And C, because I want to get it out there before the lunch hour. This is a new story coming to us from KXAN TV, which is... Um, the Caxon. She's in Texas. Oh. Uh, KXAN Television in Texas brings us this story. This is from the town of Burnett. A cook at a Burnett restaurant was arrested Monday for tainting a hamburger. He prepared for the Burnett Police Department chief on October 20th. According to the arrest affidavit, Jaime Perez... Revealed to a friend that he had Keep in mind this is one of the worst stories you're gonna hear all week. Oh good. He obtained to the hamburger he had prepared for the Burnett Police Department Chief Jaime Perez, age twenty three, told a friend he had wiped himself with a hamburger bun which he then served to police chief Paul Nelson at Andy's Landing restaurant. Perez also, not satisfied with that level of hideousness, Perez also said he had put vegetables in his mouth before placing them in the burger and proceeded to blow his nose on it. General Manager Tiffany Tapp said, Jaime is our best cook. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what makes the whole thing worthwhile. That is true. That I mean, the money phrase isn't even the wiping or the spitting or the nose blowing or the vegetables in my mouth. It's Jaime is our best cook. 
Who can ask for more? My compliments to the chef. Oh, all right. It's, uh, is this Hollandaise? Mm. It's 503-733-2970. All right. Before we do anything else, um, pardon me. Is there some extra dust in the studio yeah, or something see, today? I was fine until I came in here. Jesus. Every oh. time we move, more, more of this falls out of the ceiling. I know this has become a constant lament, but every day up in the office, I'm fine. And then I come down here and I get all wonky up in the... Uh, yeah. in the just I get all flimmed up. All right. So... I, I, I don't think we'll do any Instapol or anything about this, but we should go around the room quickly talk about your reactions to last night's Barack Obama infomercial. Then I got some notes to get to. Uh, then we'll break and we'll come back with Lisa Desjardins. Uh, Sarah Dillon, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you think? I, I thought it was good at first. I, I thought it was just kind of I don't know self pandering. Well, of course it is because right. it's an infomercial about himself. Um, the first few minutes I, I wasn't really impressed, and then as it got into him talking to you know different ethnicities and different backgrounds and um, you know all the all the different people with their real life stories, I thought it was kind of touching. It was and, a whole series of those personal anecdote things that they tell on the stump. Mm -hmm. It's about a textile worker in Georgia. And it was a whole bunch of those strung together. And I thought it was really smart how he kept in, like, he'd be showing their story and then he'd put himself in the situation where he was seen, like, with those different types of people. I thought that was pretty smart on his part. I I liked it. I I, I was entertained. Half an hour went by really quick. Tim Riley? It was okay. I mean, I'm not impressed by stories of factory workers thinking that they're going to hang on to these jobs forever. Right. Didn't their parents and grandparents tell them that this job is not for life? Right, right. You know, I think some people bring problems on themselves, and politicians cannot solve them. No. Well, that's the thing. Like the Ford truck worker guy? Right. Yeah. If you were on any kind of assembly line, it's not for life. Well, no job is forever. Uh, I suppose we know that probably uh, better than some. But, you know, nothing, no job lasts forever. And And I don't mean to sound like a jerk about it, because you run the risk of just sounding insensitive, and I don't think any of us mean to do that, but, I mean... The idea that you go to work somewhere and you have a job there from 18 until you retire at 75, that you have a, a job for life, is just not reality anymore. It may have been true in the 1950s. It is not and true. And probably now. went up by 1970. So, there was a short span of time that people like to reflect on, that they, they see on all these old sitcoms, right. that people actually lived. Yes, they did. But it was well over 30 years see, ago. See, that's the thing, too, is that I think we people like to believe or people have convinced themselves or been told that it is a recent phenomenon mm-hmm. that the company can fire you. When in reality, I think that's not the exception. I think that, as you said, that period of time when you could have a job for life, that was the exception. Correct. And I think before that and after that is really the rule, which is where you have a job, it lasts for a while, then it doesn't have, you know, then you don't have a job, then you find another job. That's, but this notion that you're going to go to work at a place that they're going to take care of you from the cradle to the grave, that was only the case in a very small slice of American history that people have convinced themselves that that is just the way it ought to be or that is right. the way it's supposed to be. So No, I'm with you on that. So um, that was my only criticism of it. That's what that stuck out. Other than that, I, Obama's great yeah. for the most part. No, it was, uh, it was, it was put together well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's just my notes from last night. Let's do these in no particular order, then we'll take a break. Did you notice this? That literally the very first thing they opened with, I kid you not, actual literal amber waves of grain. Yes. I mean, not figurative, not sort of like a euphemistic waves. It was literal, just a big field full of blowing wheat. Um, which, I mean, I guess, you know, if you're going to be heavy-handed, just go with the obvious. Um, here's a little note to myself underneath the first few minutes of the Obama thing last night. Now, I didn't have time to go back and check this. I meant to go back and pull the audio from the movie and then do a side-by-side comparison because there were whole sections. I'm calling it right now. There's somebody who worked with Obama, somebody who helped him craft that message last night, whoever it was that helped him write or direct that movie uh, last night, the infomercial he did. Somebody on his creative team is a big fan of one of my favorite films, which is Leap of Faith with Steve Martin. 
Because there's a whole bunch of speeches that Obama, like little prepared things he was doing in that last night that were very much in a Jonas Nightingale mode. But even more than that, I would bet my life on this. That underneath the first five or six minutes of Obama's infomercial, they were using the score from the movie Leap of Faith. I have to do a side-by-side -side on that. I'm not entirely sure. But it sounded very much like the score to Leap of Faith, which is a movie about uh, Steve Martin, who plays a revival evangelist. Um, let's see. Uh, other notes, I just this is sort of in the order I took them. Back on the I don't mean to seem like a jerk front. So I will give that a little preface here before I make this observation. That first human interest story they told, and this is when I realized it was going to be a whole thing of like, it's about the woman I met in a coffee shop. She likes sweet potato pie, and so do I, you know, or whatever. That woman they go to, that has, she's like, has kind of the frosted hair, and she's opening up the fridge and talking about how her kids have to cut back on gogurt or whatever. I made this note to myself how many children does this woman have? Has she not heard of birth control? That was the first family. That was a mistake to go to that first family out of the gate because it's the mom, it's the dad, four children, and quite possibly more. I'm judging by those. I was judging by the thing where she showed the back of their SUV because, of course, it's an SUV. Why would you drive something you know on which you can save money? Where she was saying, is that thing on the back of the SUV where it's the stickers that are like the stick family? You know, it's the stick figure family members. And she's like, well, this is me, and this is Paul, and this is John, and this is Lucinda, and this is Terry, and this is Dave. And then, but I think the last two might have been dogs. When she said, like, this is, you know, this is Luella and this is Frank, I think those might have been animals. But by my count, there was her and her husband and four children, mm -hmm. quite possibly six children, but at least four. I think they were dogs or yeah. cats. Like, the, the stickers, the yeah. stickers were awful. Uh, because she was introducing her family. Anyway, so I made that note to myself. You have four children, you have a nice house in the suburbs, and you're driving a huge SUV. Don't come ask me for money. Learn to type. Or have Susie Orban come on yeah. afterwards Seriously. and go through the finances. You know, it's called a station wagon. Invest in one. Uh, let's see. Next note to myself. When did Barack Obama's 250000 you know, you're not going to get it. When did that become 200000 200000 I noticed that, too. Hasn't it been 250000 forever? He always says quarter of a million, quarter of a million. Last night, 200000 so I don't know if that's like a little sleight of hand they're trying to pull on us. Like if he, I don't know if, so, if Charles Grodin finally looked at his math and goes, Barack, you can't. No, this is just, you can't do this. It's not going to work. So they lowered it by fifty thousand dollars last night, mm -hmm. and I think they were just sliding it by, kind of hoping nobody would notice. Uh, let's see. Note to myself: This is first-rate piece of propaganda. Did Steven Spielberg make this? Um, okay. Next note to myself from Barack's thing: WTF is a tax credit. I don't understand what that means. Maybe you can answer this, Tim. When they say, and you're going to get a tax credit so you can shop for your own health, what does that mean, a tax credit? If, why doesn't the government just cut you a check? I mean, what's the difference? The thing is, it, your insurance coverage is already pre-taxed. You are giving a tax credit right. on your insurance. But do you see what I mean? Like, if they're saying they're going to give you a tax credit for school vouchers, they're going to give you a tax credit for health care. It you comes a... off your taxes at the end of the year. D wouldn't it be a lot simpler if when you went to, like, get your health coverage, the government just wrote them a check and paid $5,000 of it? Why does it have to be? Is the tax credit thing because we want free money from the government, but we don't want to, we don't want to admit that we're just getting free, free money, and so we have to lie and call it something else? More than likely, yes. That seems like a little I bit of Orwellian. it be socialism. That's what I'm saying. That's like a little... It's okay for big business. That's some George Orwell dialogue is what that is. I mean, you know, tax credit is just the government writing you a check for five grand. But no one wants to admit that they're just taking a handout from the government, so we lie and we tell uh, idiot middle Americans it's a tax credit so they don't have to admit that they are just taking government money. Um, let's see, what else do we have here? Um, just catch this thing about Barack Obama. 
Um, Barack Obama has common sense because he has Kansas roots. There's that woman, because he's not from Kansas, though. He's from Hawaii. Yeah. And so she was making that joke. She was like, well, I, I think know, he I was wondering about that. He must have some Kansas roots because he has that middle American plain, plain talk or common sense or whatever the hell it is. So I was thinking here on the coast, we should just write a big letter of apology to everybody in the middle of the country. We should apologize for not being born in some freaking corn-growing state. Because clearly we're inferior because of it. Well, it, it was obviously pandering to the red states. Yeah. So I think we ought to just write a big letter about, like, Dear Iowa, sorry I was born here. Clearly I'm... There wasn't one person in an infomercial wearing dress slacks. No. Not one. Uh, let's see. Now, this is great. Here's another note to myself last night. Um, prediction. This is me writing this down. Prediction. There will be a sepia-toned photograph of Barack Obama doing something all-American. I swear to God, two minutes later, sepia-toned photograph of him dressed up playing Little League. I know it looked like he was in the Little Rascals in the 1930s. <laughs> totally. He's got the hat and the baseball bat. And I, so I note to myself, I was so right. There it is. Um, all right, let's take a break. I've got a few more of these we'll do on the other side. Then we'll uh, roll right into Lisa Desjardins. And Tim Riley coming up later. Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, Bob Costantini, your phone calls. Dorothy Costaseri, the top five. Stay there. It's the Rick. the Rick Emerson radio program. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, I'll do my uh, final three quick notes here about last night's Barack Obama infomercial. Uh, then we'll talk to CNN radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins in Des Moines. Uh, let's see. Note to self, about 821, there is actually a man literally playing the blues and singing the blues on the screen as they describe his job woes. Uh, let's see. What else here? Um... Idea. Rick Emerson Show should begin incorporating personal anecdotes into our marketing. I don't know what I meant about that. What does that mean? Rick Emerson Show should begin incorporating personal anecdotes into marketing. Oh, like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, like you do some sort of a, uh, and I met a man at Powell's Bookstore, and he wanted to hear more about boobs, and he said what, you know, or whatever. What are you even talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I, I have no idea what I meant by it. I think I meant that I should start doing the Obama thing. You know, where, you know where he says, like, and I met a factory worker in Texarkana who asked me, but it would be, but it would be like our, with our own stupid slant. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and reassess that. How late at night was this when you came uh, You know, I hadn't had any coffee in quite a while. Let's get out of that now. Let's welcome out of the Rick Emerson Show from Des Moines, CNN radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hi, hello from the heartland, as they say. Uh-huh. Uh, how's life <laughs> in the heartland? Are you actually stopped somewhere in Des Moines, or are you just rolling? Is no. that where you happen to be at the moment? No, we, we are We are actually going to be in Des Moines overnight tonight, because uh, I guess CNN's doing an interview with Barack Obama here tomorrow. That's why the, the, the big bus is here. But I don't know what the timing with your show is uncanny, because we are yet again at a truck stop. Uh, though we're not we're not actually eating pie here today. We're just getting gas. All right. So now you are not eating anything from the truck stop. Not eating anything from the truck you're stop. You're really now. missing out. Truck stop food is some of the best food you're going to find in this uh, in this many splendid land of ours. I know. Well, you know the the, the bus the um, bus crew here knows many a truck stop, and they say this particular one not so much. So now, I got a, a few things to ask. A do you enjoy bad road trip food? And I don't mean uh, like when you stop and you get a pound of red vines. I mean, like when you're going to some truck stop, convenience store, gas up place, and they got like yeah. the bad sort of fried burrito in the greasy paper sleeve. You know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. It, 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 I'd say 
50 for, it's 50 50. It depends on the day. Sometimes I'm loving the like crunchy taquito that's been spinning around for like five hours. Some days I, I, it would make me uh, want to puke. All right. Uh, it and, goes both ways. and so, and then my final question here is the, the folks that are sort of driving you around, like the guys who are driving the boss or who are sort of yeah. doing this whole thing, is this, they don't, in other words, they don't work for CNN, so they obviously just are. You know, they do this for other people the rest of the year. Uh, do you, have you pumped them for any interesting stories about, like, the time that they had to drive, like, Molly Hatchet around on, like, a, like a tour of the Southern oh, States? Oh, yeah. The dri- well, the, there's a driver and an engineer. The engineer is full-time for CNN. The driver has been full-time CNN just for this year for the bus. But, yeah, he has great stories of, uh, you know, tons of NASCAR-related stories Excellent. that are fantastic. Yeah, and I, I wish he was standing right here. I put him on the phone, but I, he went in to do some truck driver business. <laughs> Is that code for something? No, I don't know. Probably in many parts of the country, I, I unknowingly did speak some code. I, I don't know. Uh, what is the general consensus on the effectiveness or, or lack thereof of last night's Barack Obama infomercial? Yeah, have you all heard the Nielsen ratings yet no. from that commercial? Overall, across the country, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%, maybe a little higher, um, of households were tuned in. Now, that's, that's a lot lower than uh, the, the, convention, the debates and the convention speeches, certainly Obama's speech. Uh, but it's still a pretty high number, about 20% of households. That In that breakdown, we also got a list of the uh, television markets with the highest ratings, and that was Baltimore, Maryland, biggest amount of viewership. Lowest rating city in the country for last night's commercial, Portland, Oregon. Really? 14%. Yeah. So you on the map. All right. There you go. So it, it, I, finally, we get, you know, we're number one at something. We are number one in folks who chose to watch something else. That's, that's exactly what you're not. And I felt very proud because the initial Nielsen summary when we got it uh, said, you know, the lowest rating was in Portland. And they said, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine. And when it came back, Portland, Oregon, yeah. Excellent. I was psyched. I sent it out to the rest of CNN so everybody is clear. That's sort of interesting because we are such, I mean, because Portland is such a blue city. Um, yeah, I wonder. They're in the tank for Obama. That's yeah. the thing is, I want everybody here's just kind of made up their mind, uh, you know, one way or the other, and probably with the, the, probably I would say that the majority of folks in Portland leaning Obama at least, and just going to screw it, I'll watch Deal or No Deal instead. So you've also got the, the a lot of people have already voted there, you know, but well, mail in and. It's all, but, you know, there's another theory, because I put that out there. I said, you know, the, we've already mailed in our votes, Portland, Oregon, uh, to CNN, and then someone emailed back, or is it race? And then uh, linked to an article saying Baltimore, Maryland had a very high rating, potentially because very high proportion of African Americans there. Portland, Oregon, not so much. So th- that's kind of bouncing around. I, I tend to think it's it's probably a combination. I think that a lot of voters everywhere are ready for the election to be over, and I think Portland is – it's probably done. You guys probably were done a month ago. Well, so because, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously everybody wants to see how it turns out, but also a lot of people, once they've cast their ballot, it's like a set it and forget it kind of a thing, at yeah. least until next Tuesday. So that actually then, I know it's linguistically inaccurate to say begs the question, but I never would say so prompts the question. That prompts the question, if if Portland, Oregon had the lowest rating for the Obama speech last night, what was in a, what was the highest rated show in Oregon last night? In other words, what were Portlanders watching uh. last night if it wasn't that? So. Right, or well, maybe they weren't watching TV. Maybe uh, uh, to go with the stereotype, uh, listening in on NPR. Sitting around uh, drinking <laughs> herbal tea and listening to Miles Davis. <laughs> yes, exactly. Possibly, possibly uh, doing some some sort of um, cultural activity. Maybe creating expressions. 
I would I say know. it's uh, I would say it's entirely uh, likely, if not probable, that the vast number of Portlanders who otherwise would have been watching Barack Obama's infomercial were in fact drinking warm kombucha and reading a book by David Sedaris. <laughs> I mean, really, if I had to nail it down right now, that's what I'd say. Well, maybe Obama should have had an alternate channel like that. Like it's sort of like David, a... David Sedaris, right? And had had more subtly some Obama signs in the background. <laughs> Uh, I don't even I don't even know what else. To, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but at the same time, there's almost nothing to talk about. Um, right. It's pretty, um, you know, on the polling, one thing to note in the last couple of days, uh, John McCain had started uh, robocall advertising in Arizona, in his own state. Uh, so it's it's gotten that close in Arizona. I think Barack Obama's within two points in McCain's home state. So why, that's never a good sign. Why so much importance on Pennsylvania? Because, you know what, because it's got, um, I think it's got 20 electoral votes, and there aren't a lot of states that have that many. And and the way the math is for John McCain, he needs some big states to come home for him. Uh, and, and there's not a lot to choose from. Obviously, California, no way. Texas is already, you know, they're already assuming they've got it. New York, not going to happen. Uh, there just aren't that many states that have 20 or more electoral votes. And the truth is, Pennsylvania um, is usually a swing state. There are There are a lot of Catholics in Pennsylvania. Uh, that McCain would usually appeal to, and but the economy is is probably what's uh, the, the bar that he can't get past. But they but they think that they have to win Pennsylvania. So even if it's far from ideal and the numbers are against them, they got to give it a try if they really want to win the election. Um, I, so I will ask you this one question that comes from a listener, and then uh, and then we'll probably have to uh, skedaddle uh, for, uh, for okay. today. This is from a listener who says, I wish somebody would sit down with a live microphone and ask John McCain this. Uh, and I'll have to condense this a little bit. But he says, in essence, he says, there are people whose taxes are less than five grand. So if you're not due to pay, you know, those taxes, a tax credit is no help at all. And plus, a tax credit is in the future. So if I need treatment, like health care, right now, what good is a tax credit some months in the future? He said, I would appreciate if Lisa would at least comment on this question from her vantage point. He says, I'm a self-employed artist, and I found when I paid for health insurance I could afford, it amounted to paying for potential calamities, didn't pay for day-to-day expenses, regular office visits, etc., he said, I have given up. I don't have health insurance. Uh, if a health calamity happens, I guess I'll have to trust their charity programs. So that's a good point. I mean, the, the ta- if, you're, if you're sufficiently poor, right. the tax credit is going to be no good. It's not going to help you out. No, but the tax credit, maybe I'm not understanding the question, but uh, the tax credit, everybody gets it, um, is, the, is the idea that McCain is putting out there, um, even if you don't pay taxes that you would get it potentially although he, he there may be a it, it, there's a there's a fuzzy line there you're right though if, if you don't pay any taxes at all we're not clear exactly what would happen to you if, you, if you're getting or if you get the earned income tax credit for example mm-hmm. if you're so poor that the government's paying you um but the mccain camp generally says that the tax credit comes regardless of your tax status and then uh, one and everybody gets that money right all right. So, so, and then one final uh, tax question before we, before we roll. He's right here. about the lag. He's right that it, it would be lagging. Like you wouldn't get it right away. You'd get it the next tax year, essentially. And then last night on the uh, the Obama thing, he's been using this 250 grand figure for the longest time. And then last night suddenly it was 200 yeah. grand. Yeah. Here's the deal with that. It's I, you know what? I don't know what uh, I don't know why they're going back and forth. The, the deal is that if you make 200 thousand or less, you get a tax cut. If you make between 200000 and 250, nothing happens. It's You're a neutral. freeze. Okay. Yeah, it's a freeze. So what it, sometimes they'll say, a tax cut for people making $200,000 or below. And then sometimes they'll say, you know, if, if you make 250000 
or below, your taxes aren't going up. You know, like he'll he'll say, right, he'll okay. say it that way. So they really should have stuck with one figure or the other because now today John McCain has an ad coming out saying, oh, it's this, it's that, uh, blah, 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 uh, making it sort of wacky. Meanwhile, another McCain anecdote. I say, God, I feel like I'm beating up on John McCain, and I don't mean to, but he's having a hard time. And today he had an event in Defiance, Ohio, and kind of a sign of the campaign problems he got to the stage and he said, Joe the Plumber is here. Joe, where are you? And actually, Joe the Plumber wasn't there. Uh, we called him, and he said that the campaign had never really uh, clarified that they wanted him there. Oh. And so he didn't go. Oh, that's awkward. And, the, and then it's very awkward, and in that same speech, John McCain uh, John McCain started going after Barack Obama for the ad last night a little bit. And he, he started making his argument, and just in the middle, you should... Try and find this clip. In the middle of him making an argument, he just kind of stops at one point and says, never mind. Just never mind. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah it Excellent. Really, it's not, it was a very strange rally. My final sentence here that we, that we'll run is that, and this is absolutely true, this is why we are the best and worst and greatest and most terrible country on earth. Joe the Plumber may not have been there because, according to news reports this morning, he is, in fact, working right now with country singer Aaron Tippin to put out an album. No. Hey, you heard it here really? first. I, yeah, I heard that on Keith Oberman last night. He was going nuts on it about yeah. that. Country, uh, a, a country album from Joe the Plumber is imminent, Lisa. Wow. Well, you know, it, I mean, the congressional run is still two years away, so he's got to do something in the meanwhile. All right. There you go. As always, go. Uh, enjoy the bus ride. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you, Lisa. There you go. Lisa Desjardins. All right. Oh, that's genius. Uh, we'll get Bob Costantini here one moment. I know we, we had real brief, uh, a real brief window with him. He's a... Uh... Well, things are uh, things are a little tricky schedule-wise. It's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Anderson Show from Columbus, Ohio, Bob Gustin. Hello, sir. Hi there, Rick. How are you? How are you, my friend? I know we're on a uh, I know we're on a tight schedule here today. Um, yeah. So you are uh, so you're in Columbus, Ohio, which is, is is Ohio that state they always talk about where they say that you like no president can win or has won the White House if they can't win Ohio. Well, as a matter of fact, John McCain mentioned that today in uh, at a rally in Defiance, Ohio, no less. Uh, one of the first things he mentioned was that uh, no president has been elected president without carrying Ohio since John Kennedy. No Republican has ever been elected president without winning Ohio. There are 20 electoral votes here, and the latest uh, CNN poll of polls, which is an average of statewide surveys, shows that uh, Barack Obama is up by 4% right now. John McCain is on a two-day bus tour of the state trying to uh, close that gap, Rick. Is, this a, is it true, by the way, that he, that he did a little shout-out to Joe the Plumber, who wasn't, wasn't in fact even there? Um, yeah, we heard that Joe the Plumber, uh, Joe Wurzelbacher, uh, was going to be with him at some of these events. And uh, at least at the first event, I know uh, he tried to find uh, Wurzelbacher somewhere in the audience and uh, never could get to him. Uh, but Wurzelbacher has been more than willing in the past couple of days to uh, gin up some publicity for John McCain, and we, we did notice that. Excellent. All right, Bob, I know we're on a, a tight schedule today, so I will simply say, may the good news be yours, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank the good you. news will be next Tuesday when we're uh, when the election's over. I'm with you, my friend. There you go. Bob Gustantini from Columbus, Ohio. What a busy day already. What is the Christmas present? 
Joe's with us today. Joe, where are you? Where is Joe? Is Joe here with us today? Joe, I thought you were here today. All right. Well, you're all Joe the plumber, so oh, all of you stand up, Oh, wow. I thank you. Oh, that's so awkward. Play he looked so senile and, like, sad. What? Joe's with us today. Joe, where are you? Where is Joe? Is Joe here with us today? Joe, I thought you were here today. All right. Well, you're all Joe the Plumber, so all of you stand up and say, I thank you. And say, I thank you? You know... I have to say, if this was uh, if this was some sort of a touching a dramatic series, or if this was some movie on Lifetime, somebody would be, "Honey, Joe died in 1975. You remember, don't you?" And then he'd go, "I like strained peas." And, and then go to I love Cindy McCain, who looks just like a walking skeleton, evil uh, woman, like standing behind him, and she's just staring blankly over his shoulder, not even smiling. Doesn't even help him look for Joe. You know, you think that somebody. I, I'm just. Don't you think at this point, just out of. Just the sheer Christian compassion. They go, look, let's just go home. <laughs> let's, it's not good for him to be out there. Oh, wow. That's awkward. Let's play that several more times today. Okay. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I got a comment about that Obama thing last night. Yes, sir. Uh, when they were showing the family from Ford, uh, from Louisville, Kentucky. Right. Did you notice they were, even though they're broke, it still didn't prevent them from eating out instead of eating at home? No, I didn't. I didn't notice that. Is this the this is the guy, kind of a big square-headed guy with the sort of flat top, and he was. Uh, they were talking about the what he, he he was either working there or he had gotten laid off. His or something. wife got laid off. Yeah, and he was there, but 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 they they pointed out he went to a, a restaurant and all they had was twenty four dollars to feed their family at the restaurant. But it didn't prevent them from going out to the restaurant. No, of course not, because why would you ever go to a supermarket and shop responsibly? Exactly. And the other thing, this tax cut thing for the $250,000, yeah. no one's taking into account that they're going to let the, the Bush tax cuts uh, go away, and we're all going to get a tax cut, I mean a, a raise in taxes, because the tax cut's going to go away. Yeah. It's all very confusing, sir. So, but that thing last night, you know, all I got is $24 to feed my family at this restaurant. <laughs> I mean, again, and one doesn't wish to seem hard-hearted, but seriously, there does come a point where you have to start making better decisions. Exactly. And, and as, and just to go back to, this, and I've gotten several emails already, by the way, from people who agreed with my take on that first family they showed, where, you know, one obviously wishes that everybody could prosper, but they're showing this woman, who, who you know, she and her husband opted to have four kids, buy some a big house in the suburbs, and she's, dr and they're showing her gassing up this SUV. Did you see how huge her house was too? Yeah. Did you see how huge they were? <laughs> they so, were not small people. Well, they were not starving. I think we know where the kids' food is going. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay, All right. There you go. So, anyway, uh, let's see. Um, so, I'm just going to finish up my Obama notes from last night. Did I already say the thing about how they showed the guy actually literally singing the blues when they were talking about it was the retired guy who works at Walmart? Oh, the one with the wife with the bad arthritis? Yeah. It was yeah. a sad story. But that it was, was just, a sad story. I know. He's clipping on the Walmart it a, pin. It was a sad story. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying... Because I was in actually in the kitchen because uh, Laura and I had made dinner and so uh, during. Are you going to order pizza? Um, did we? Yes, yes we did. No, I was reheating it. That's what I was doing. I was okay. heating it up. Um, yes, yeah, so I was like I was puttering around the kitchen as they say with the toaster oven, and I hear this like you know, and then I retire, but now I have to go and I'm a sales associate at Walmart. And but then in the background, like you hear this blues music starting up, and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking in my head, 
That guy's got the blues so bad. Ain't no one know what his blues is like. And then I come back in, and it's literally the guy on the screen playing the blues, which I thought was the best thing ever. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, my own personal anecdotes. I think what I was thinking with this is that we here on the program should put together some fake campaign ads for the next couple of days. Where <gasps> yes, I thought we were going to, like the Jeff Merkley's hot dogs. But thing. this should be different, where it's like it's like me going, you know, uh, where it's me saying something like, uh, you know, it's about a man I met in the frozen pizza aisle at the Safeway. And he said, Rick, I enjoy your segments with Mr. Skin, but it's all boobs. I, I'm, in the, uh, I'm more of an ass man, Rick. What can you do for me? And then I say... You know, then I say, I hear you. That and we is are a gonna complete address. idea. That is a good idea. And, uh, you know, right? See, and then we said, no, sir, in an Emerson administration, we will address your ass needs. You will not be left behind. Or something. Who else could we say? What other man or woman could we meet who could say something? Um, Sally the hairdresser. What would Sally the hairdresser, what would Sally the hairdresser say to us? Like, what, what, would, what would our show's take on that personal anecdote be? Oh, gosh. I don't know. This is your brainchild. Uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Uh... How about this? How about, it's about an emaciated teenager I met at the comic book store. And he said, Rick, something, something, Buffy season eight, something, something. See, it's, it's, it's still an embryonic stage right now. I think it could work. We have a few days. There's something there. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, final two notes, then we'll break and we'll come back. Oh, this is a note, by the way, lest anybody think that we're overly partisan, about both candidates, including, uh, last night, Barack Obama. I just made this note. It must be nice to live in John McCain and Barack Obama's America where there are no actual poor people to worry about. When did we just middle class and rich people. When did we reach this point in America where all the people we're going to worry about are these fat bastards with SUVs? I mean, did you ever have had no point? I don't think either of them has ever used the word poor during this election. Apparently, the, apparently the poor no longer need any help. People who are actually like in the lower class of this country, uh, they don't need any assistance. It's all about some guy bought a car he can't afford to fill. And has an overactive reproductive system. Uh, all right, final two things. One, prediction about the election. If Obama loses, liberals will go mental for a few days and then just give up and never care again. That's just, that's, you know, whereas like Republicans lose and they get angry and they come back stronger the next time, like the T-1000. I think if Obama loses, like if McCain somehow contrives to win this, liberals will go just absolutely bonkers for about three days. And then they're just going to wilt like a flower and never care about anything again. They'll just... They'll just sort of crumble into dust and quit, quit caring. Uh, and then finally, John McCain last night, Larry King, of all people, was talking to John McCain and said, uh, what raised the experience issue and, you know, what do you say to people who question Sarah Palin's experience? And John McCain, this was his response. He just said, what Sarah Palin's got is she has instincts. That's the end of it. And saying that someone has instincts is like saying, well, she's got hair. Everybody, Ted Bundy had instincts. I mean, that's not really a response. So, all right, and we're done. Take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley coming up. Later on, top five uh, rock songs from a horror film. Dorothy Cassisari for the National Enquirer. We'll talk to Steve Cast about the World Series. Uh, let's see, High Concept Thursday and all that stuff. There's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Joe's with us today. Joe, where are you? Where is Joe? Is Joe here with us today? Joe, I thought you were here today. All right. Well, you're all Joe the Plumber, so all of you stand up and say, I thank you. Why? Wow. All right. 
that uh, is that me? Did I suddenly turn my headphones up too? I think that was me with my headphones up too loud. I spoke and I deafened myself. Jesus. All right. Hello, Tim. How are you today? I just couldn't be better. I think there was some weirdness there with the music bed. I think I had my headphones turned really loud, and I wasn't really listening to the music bed, and then I opened my mouth to speak, and I blew out my own cilia. Oh, I didn't hear anything. Thank you. I may not hear anything ever again. You were really loud. All right. It's, uh, it's 503-733-2970. All right, no one heard that. It's 503-733-2970. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Coming up later on today, Cena Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum joins us from Philadelphia, where he is apparently permanently ensconced. We'll have Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer. Today's top five. Top five rock songs uh, from a horror film. By the way, I got a postcard here for the Peabody Awards admissions, Tim. Apparently, they'd like to know if KCMD will be submitting anything for a Peabody Award this year. Sure. What's a Peabody Award? Um, I think that's that thing that, uh, isn't it like a news, a news award? Oh, is it? Yeah. I think it's well, a, I'll think of something. It's some, I think it's an award for news coverage or, let's see, the Grady, the Grady College of Journalism. The only Grady I know is that guy who was on Sanford and Son. The Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia announces the call for entries. I've already lost interest in this. It's 503-733-2970. This email says, Rick, I am Sally the Hairdresser, and I, too, want my 15 minutes of fame. Rick, please reference Sally the Hairdresser 264,000 times over the next week so that I can shoot a video with Little Wayne. All right, done and done. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. They haven't spoken with Kim the Eyebrow Plucker yet, have they? No, no, they, no, they, they have not. To the list. Yeah. Uh, and Horace, a septic tank cleaner? I met a man named Horace. All right. So a new poll shows Obama has a 19% lead... In Oregon, this was done by uh, Fox 12 and the uh, Portland Tribune. Meanwhile, in California, it is Obama with a 22-point lead over McCain. More politics coming up in just a few moments. But first, a Happy Valley woman claims she was hijacked and grazed by a fired shot by one of the two men who at first stopped to ask for directions. Happened at 8 o'clock this morning. The woman was stopped in the 1500 block of Natalia Street in her car. She said she was stopped, uh, a car was stopped in front of hers. A man got out, came over, and asked for directions. She said uh, he then ordered her to get out of the car and pulled a gun. The gun went off at one point, causing a bullet to graze the woman's leg. The suspect pulled the woman out of the car, drove away. So be on the lookout now for 2009 Mini Cooper. It is white with a black car top. That's a 2009 Mini Cooper, white with a black car top, with a black stripe across the hood. The license plate is CK. 67886. That's a 2009 Mini Cooper. Look all around you right now, no matter where you are. It is white with a black car top. License plate number CK67886. Wait, so this is now, is this his car or is this car he stole from her? The car stolen from her. Oh, okay, all right. And the suspect's car is a dirty burgundy Dodge Neon. But he then left, but he left that behind? I'm so confused here. Did he steal her car? Right, stole the car. One of them stole the car. There were two guys. Oh, I see. Someone drove away in the car. Okay. The suspects are a white male in his late 20s, early 30s, pale and thin, prominent cheekbones, wearing a dark jacket, the other man possibly Hispanic, with a long goatee. Then wild turkeys have been killed by police in Palamath. A half dozen wild turkeys that have been making pests of themselves have been killed by a sharpshooting police officer. How do you miss a turkey? It's a sharpshooting police officer. I don't know the answer to that. The city of Palamath had a permit from the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife to kill as many as ten troublesome turkeys 
and then will continue to shoot four more before January, they promise. Turkey season is underway, and 100 with tags could have taken the birds. About 20 wild turkeys have been hanging around the west end of Philadelphia because they're being fed by residents, but others complain the birds scratched and tore up landscape and roofs. Those are tough birds, with long toenails, apparently. Scratching and tearing up roofs. Is some sort of, uh, I don't know, some sort of hyperactive, super genetic, uh, genetically uh, modified turkey. They are waking up the residents in the morning and defecating on lawns and decks. Excellent. They must die. Hi, you're on the Rick Everson Show. Hello. Hi, this is uh, Alan. And hello to you. Alan from uh, former, com- former, former account executive, Alan Gabrowski. Oh, you know, on the screen it says your name is Don, and you want to talk about Obama in all caps. But I, I know I was calling because I indeed know what the highest rated program was last night. All right. So what was so so Lisa Desjardins told us that of all of the television, all of the surveyed television markets in America, the Obama infomercial performed the poorest in Portland, Oregon. We were actually the lowest market last night in terms of performance for that Obama thing. So what were uh, Portlanders watching last night, sir? The top, the highest rated program last night was Criminal Minds on CBS. Really? Look at that, CBS. Everybody else eat that. However, do you want to know what beat out the Obama infomercial? Yes. Jeopardy. Really? Yeah. Well, but see, that makes me, you know, I'm kind of happy about that. Now, if you'd said it was beaten out by Wheel of Fortune, I mean, that would have been something else altogether. But Jeopardy, uh, I could see that for Portland. You know what? Easily. In Rick Emerson's America, Jeopardy can be the highest rated program on, you know, on the air period. Doesn't matter to me. I'd feel, I'd feel positively ebullient about that. Also, the, uh, on the, as far as cable goes, the Daily Show with Obama as a guest did higher than his infomercial as far as rating. Well, that doesn't surprise me either, actually. I mean, we read that story the other day that John, there was some demographic, it was like the 18 to 27 demographic that John Stewart was actually the most trusted, quote, newscaster on the airwaves. So, <laughs> all right, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Bye. All right, there you go. All right, 503-733-2970. Speaking of Jeopardy, by the way, you know what was on uh, a week well, like 10 days ago, and I missed it. It was a special Mad Men night on Jeopardy. So it was Jeopardy, but there was, uh, in both rounds, mm-hmm. they had one whole category that was nothing but Mad Men questions or Mad Men-related questions. And I, was, I didn't find about it until it was too late. So, Did you get that McCain sound? Did Sarah give that to you before she left? I don't think so. All right, I have it. Uh, we should know, by the way, in case you hear a voice that's not Sarah Dillon's, uh, Sarah had a prior obligation today, so she had to uh, head on out. So we are joined today by the able Kristen Bowie. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Rick? I'm fantastic. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go wonky about the levels just now. but it's I. Okay. Uh, I it, was, it seemed like everything It seemed like everything in my head had suddenly, had suddenly gone. You're over. right. Everything was suddenly twice as loud as it should have been. But here's the reason that freaks me out. It's not like the volume levels themselves per se are something I can't deal with, but every time something seems inordinately loud or it's gone disproportionately uh, quiet, I always think that I've turned into, you know, I've I've turned into Pete Townsend in my brain, like the tinnitus is finally set into the point. Like, I remember reading this interview with Johnny Ramone where he said, Johnny Ramone said, and the story terrified me, I was about 17 maybe when I read this, it was in Rolling Stone, Johnny Ramone talked about how his hearing got worse and worse and worse and worse, but the manifestations, the symptomology of his hearing loss, it was that things got quieter and quieter and quieter until one day everything was unbelievably loud. And the doctor told him that his brain had compensated by somewhere deep inside the machinations of his head. His brain had just compensated at one point by cranking up the volume on everything. That is rather horrifying, and so, so especially in this business. Exactly. So, so when everything is suddenly loud, I think like, oh, God, this is it. Uh, you know, and I've just developed like, you know, like dog ears or something. All right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. The discovery of three urns holding cremated remains and the Goodwill stories being investigated happened in Gresham, the second big, busiest Goodwill in the Pacific Northwest. 
Somebody found the urns while sorting through a box of miscellaneous household items. So the person tells their boss they call the police. A Goodwill spokesman calls the discovery of urns with ashes disturbing and sad. It is unusual, even though the chain of thrift stores takes in 136.2 million pounds of donated goods last year, breaking a record. Meanwhile, these unclaimed urns full of ashes, urns, urns full of ashes have been turned over to a funeral home to be put in the closet of unwanted urns, I guess. Hey, whatever happened to all of those urns full of ashes at the state mental play, the nuthouse? Remember we had that story oh, yeah. in the Oregonian where there was... Like the creepiest photo, you know, and I really, I regret that we weren't able to, i got to pull up a chair. Mm-hmm. i got so many things to say about this. A, I regret that we weren't able to go see, it wasn't damaged, because that place already closed. Mm-hmm. It was the Oregon State Nuttery, or whatever it is they call it. That's probably not the official name. But, you know, they, they were getting ready to close it. <laughs> they, um, that's the room we took Veruca Salt. Um, but they were getting ready to close it down, and we were going to try to get a tour of it, and then I was out of town, and then something else happened, we weren't able to go. But they had this photograph in the Oregon, and it was fantastic. And it was an, a, a room that they had just discovered because it had been boarded up, you know, like Ed Gein's mother's room. And the walls were covered with shelves, and the shelves were then filled with urns of mental patients who had died, been cremated, no loved ones. Mm-hmm. And so that room had been sort of like the junk drawer underneath your microwave where all your Tic Tacs and D-cell batteries go and half-eaten rolls of Lifesavers. And they just, I don't know, put it in that uh, ash room over there. And it was just a room full of the ashes of dead crazy people, which is, like, the best thing ever. And we were never able to go get a tour. you think they would have at least kept it open through Halloween. Make serious money on that. Um, because in Utah, and this is up until, I think, the early to mid-90s, I don't think you could do this anymore. In Salt Lake City, there was, in fact, a mental hospital that at Halloween, they would empty out one of the wings of the mental hospital and they turned it into a haunted house. And it wasn't, and the rumor was always that it was staffed by sort of some of the low-grade patients, and that wasn't true. It was actually just a regular hospital staff. Mm-hmm. But it was a fundraiser for the mental hospital. But the fundraiser was, I swear to because my wife worked there as a, as a volunteer when she was a teenager. Um, it was a haunted house in an actual, honest-to-goodness, functioning mental hospital, which is like so off-the-charts cool that, I mean, so we have nothing like that. Anyway, but whatever happened to the whole room full of... Uh, that is a mystery, isn't it? Whatever happened to Earns? I don't know. I have nothing. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hey, that uh, story that Tim did about the guy in the Mini Cooper. Yes, sir. He could have shortened that up, but just saying, ever, anyone look out for a guy driving a Mini Cooper. I suppose and I could have if I wanted to. And then also, I have a question about Wait, the... Uh, let's, Joe... No, let's go back to the first thing. Okay. What is this... Uh... Is there humor buried in there that I didn't catch? Yeah, just guys don't drive Mini Cooper. Oh, I see. So you're saying that based upon your assessment that a Mini Cooper would be more of a ladies' car, that probably a man driving a Mini Cooper would be so necessarily finite in amount that probably if you spotted a guy driving a Mini Cooper, he would be the aforementioned suspect. Yeah, it's like a guy driving a Porsche Boxer. I would also go with, yes, the judges would also accept Miata for that. All right, what else do you got, sir? Uh, Joe the Plumber. Yeah. Okay, I, I've been in and out of the whole debate. Joe the plumber, is that an actual person, or is that like a, or is that like a Larry the Cable guy, or is that just a, like a made-up person? <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that comparison. Um, so, well, what is? So he is not a licensed plumber, right, Tim? And his name isn't Joe. That is correct. Yes. So he's some guy named Sam. Who they call Joe because maybe that's his middle name or something, or maybe that's like a nickname or whatever. Well, it's something that she could pronounce easily and probably not forget, I guess. So he is an actual guy. Uh, it is really unclear how much plumbing he really does. 
Uh, also, he has a, a lien on him for unpaid income taxes, and I think he has a, a suspended driver's license, and seems like kind of a douche. So, he is a real person. I don't think he's a character in the same way that Dan Whitney is Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, then we have this new guy, Tito the Builder. Yeah. And nobody can understand a word he's saying. <laughs> I heard you play that soundbite again yesterday, where Tito the Builder said something that sounds... I guess he's talking about Bill Richardson, but it sounds for all the world like he said, they're going to build bridges on me. Um... Anyway, so, uh, Joe the Plumber, uh, real guy, kind of a douche. I wouldn't worry about him if I were you. Okay, well, I'm going be, to become Nick the Army guy. Uh, done, like my... done and done, sir. That's my title. Thank All right, you. we will call you by that if you, uh, if you contact us again. Thank you, my friend. Happy days. All right, there you go. Okay. You bet. I take a good joke on the show and beat it to death on the afternoon show. That's what, that's what we... Well, you know, Tim, those jokes are too good to just use once. Yes. Uh, you go back to that well. You ring that joke for every I mean, last you can. I mean, people cable shows over and over again, don't they? Well, look, I mean, this is the cable show that's new every day. Why waste it on one, one thing? Pass that positioning statement along to uh, to the marketing department. Well, we were talking to Mr. Skin yesterday about Animal House, mm-hmm. and then they were putting a 30, 30th anniversary edition, and he was talking about the uh, you know, the scene where Blue Tarski's up in the ladder looking at the boobs or whatever. I mean, I must have seen... I, you know, I, I'm, I'm like a lot of guys and probably not a few women in this regard. I must have seen Animal House. I mean, just in my adolescence, I think I watched that movie 150 times. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why should this program be any different? Tim, this program is like any kind of classic comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rewatch value and the re-listen value is high. So this is the McCain thing. So this is John McCain speaking at, where is he today? Is he in Ohio? No. Is he in Kansas City? Where the hell is John McCain today? Some flyover state. Some place that doesn't matter. Some place that we pretend to care about every four years. So this is John McCain. Just a bunch of slack-jawed yokels behind him, too. I mean, just the... I mean, really... People huge boils on their faces. You could power any number of turbines. You want to talk about renewable energy, just the breath coming out of these people behind him, sitting there, and then occasionally thinking about Fritos or fish sticks or something. So here's John McCain. I think this is when he goes to introduce Joe the Plumber, who, wait for it, isn't even there. Joe's with us today. Joe, where are you? Where is Joe? Is Joe here with us today? Joe, I thought you were here today. All right. Well, you're all Joe the Plumber, so all of you stand up and say, I thank you. Oh, man. Joe's with us today. Joe, where are you? Where is Joe? Is Joe here with us today? Joe, I thought you were here today. All right. Well, you're all Joe the Plumber, so all of you stand up and say... I think. There you go. You must email that to me. I'll send you that link right now, Tim Riley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll post it. You know, and the thing about it is, if you watch, like, you know, remember that you do that thing in school, like the time-lapse photography, where it's like, you know, the life cycle of a rose, and then you go from seed to sapling or whatever the hell, and it grows, and then it dies, and, you know, and then you play it back. If you were to do some time-lapse photography of Cindy McCain's face through this campaign, it's like... The eyes get narrower and narrower, and the smile gets tighter and tighter, and the hand gets more and more clenched. And you just know there's going to be a savage uh, a savage beating of somebody later on. I think John McCain's going to be locked in the fruit cellar with no dinner for quite some time. Uh, all right, here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So yesterday we told you about that girl wanted by police for setting up this phony concert and selling tickets to it. It was for Shakira. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to take place in Bellevue this weekend. Shakira knew nothing about it, of course. So our friends over at K2 set up a phony ticket purchase to try to catch that bogus promoter in the act. And it worked. Olga Andropopova 
showed up in less than a half an hour for their appointment and was upset when she was confronted with the K2 cameras. She jumped into a rental car with the man behind the wheel and they drove off. The driver was later arrested, turned out to be his husband. So the woman tells police her husband was the one who masterminded the scam. He mainly hurt people who were close to him, family. He doesn't just take their money, he takes their trust. He takes years out of your life. Police said the man was arrested in Washington, King County, Clark County, and Tigard for identity theft, and some of his victims are his own family members. Excellent. Well done, sir. Meanwhile, the little lady is cooperating with police and is trying to put her broken life back together. No, that's not going to work. But she loves him. Uh-huh. He's a good man. Uh, uh, I just sent you the uh, Joe the Plumber thing. Okay. I'll post All that right. on my website. Right. Here's Tim Riley. A neighbor ran over to help with his garden hose when he realized flames are racing across his neighbor's house early this morning. He yelled at the homeowner to get out, call 911, then grabbed his own garden hose, starts putting out the flames. This happened around uh, 2 o'clock this morning. Under the hood of a Cadillac parked at northeast of Wigand and 68, flames spread quickly to the carport and to the home. A woman and her two dogs were inside the home at the time. Initially, she didn't know that the side of her house was on fire, but they were able to get out safely, thanks to the neighbors yelling. So he grabs his 150-foot-long garden hose and starts putting out the fire. He began to realize that uh, a car fire... Uh, which was burning next to the gas tank. Uh, trying to put out that fire may be useless, so he ran back. But uh, that's a good neighbor. All right, good Grabbing for him. Garden hose. Oh, speaking of, okay, we've got some breaking news here. Let me. Uh... I always picked the wrong bed. That's way too jaunty for this. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello, Rick. How are you? Hello, sir. What is our breaking news today? It's Uncle Steve. I was on 205, and when I got on at 82nd. I noticed a bunch of emergency vehicles. Looks like they had put out a fire or something, and traffic was backed up on 205, dang near to Oregon City. So was that when? When was that? Was that just now? Oh, just now. I, I'm just passing. Um, I'm just coming up on I-5 right now. So within the last five ten minutes. So were you saying? So was there? There was a car. There is a car on fire. There was a car on fire. Something was on fire. By the time I got there, they were just kind of cleaning up, but. Traffic was pretty much not going very fast. All right. So, uh, all right. So, duly notice if you're out there driving in that general direction, stop. Stop now. Yeah. Don't don't go north on 205. All right. All right. Best show ever. Thank you for the update, my friend. All right. Bob, this is a great idea from a listener, Chad in Beaverton. Please now to submit the oscillating fan story for the Peabody Award. <laughs> that is a wonderful idea. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I've got that right here somewhere. Uh, all I know about the Peabody Award. Well, yeah, I always yeah. think of Mr. Peabody on Rocky and Bullwinkle, but I realize <laughs> probably, it's not the same. Probably not that. Um, the If I could do that voice, I would totally do it right now, and then we'd have a whole bit. Mm-hmm. I think the Peabody Award, all I know about the Peabody Award is that it's some, I don't know, it's some crap they give you for doing a good job as a news person, and that Bill O'Reilly claimed to have won one, and then it turned out that it was a lie, surprising mm-hmm. no one. So the the Grady College... Of, of journalism and mass communication at the University of Georgia announces the call for entries at the 68th annual George Foster Peabody Awards. George Foster Peabody, I'm assuming he's a real person, but doesn't it sound like he's made up? Yes. Doesn't George Foster Peabody sound like a, some, he's like a Charles... Uh, Sitting around the smoking jacket. <laughs> totally. This is like a Charles Foster Kane kind of a thing. Please, bring me your finest Cuban cigars. <laughs> Do you have the bones of Alistair Cook? Uh, programs originally broadcast, cable cast... I don't understand what this means. Uh, anyway, the online entry form is now uh, is now available at the official Peabody website. Uh, okay, I'll look it up here in a second. Oh, and then they've got his face on a coin. 
So I think it's for news excellence. So this, of course, would uh, qualify. A brave man beats a man named Fan with a fan as he wrestles the gun out of his hands. I don't understand. Mr. Fan was beaten with a fan. What is going on in this news story? Well, a shooting suspect is badly hurt after he knocked down the door. Well, the man in the bedroom is waiting and his weapon of choice, an oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Well, the man in the bedroom is waiting, and his weapon of choice, an oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Mr. Fan was greeted by a man armed with an oscillating fan. He beats the suspect down the stairs with the oscillating fan. Fan like ham? Right. Okay. Armed with an oscillating fan. Long fan. Okay. The victim of the fan attack. Back up for a second. An oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Okay. Mr. Dong Fan. Ham with a P in front of it, which makes it a fan. An oscillating fan. An oscillating fan. Okay. An oscillating fan. Mr. Fan and Fan. Mr. Dong Fan. I smell victory, Tim. Uh, okay, so I'm looking just to see. Really, here's the thing. I would do it just to see the expressions on their faces when they reviewed the entry. That'd be funny. I think the Oregon one's coming up soon, isn't it? The OAB thing? You know, can I just tell you this? Somebody, do you ever get uh, asked to join some online, like a Google group or, you know, one of those online communities, and then you don't respond, but then you get a follow-up email that you've just been added to the group anyway, even though you didn't ask to be? Mm -hmm. So somebody from the OAB sent me, and I apologize if this is somebody I know and I was supposed to be, I, I don't mean to be slighting anybody with this, but... Well, so we I, were judges last year, remember? Were we? Yeah, when I brought in all those tips from New Hampshire, we sat here and judged Oh, that's them. right. So I got this email yesterday. It was like, so-and-so has invited you to join the O8, the, the Oregon Association of Broadcasters, which is sort of like Amway, but with microphones, the uh, the OAB group. Yes. And of course, I just deleted that because I got, I got a life to lead. What, what do I care? But then, I swear to God, like... And they want you to drive to Salem. It's like, I'm not driving all the way down there. Three hours later, though, I get a... Thank you for joining. Congratulations. You are now a member of the OAB Google group or whatever. And I just deleted that one, too. And then I set my screen to block it out. So, uh, okay, I'm looking at the Peabody Awards website here. Apparently, Tim, the George Foster Peabody Awards recognize distinguished achievement and meritorious public service by TV and radio stations, networks, producing organizations, individuals, and the World Wide Web. The awards program, established in 1940 and administered by the University of Georgia Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication, apparently, Tim, it is the oldest, most prestigious award and honor in electronic media. Well, there you go. i got to find out how much it costs to, uh, let's see, here we go, how to enter. Let's see. How to enter. Um, uh, let's see. We've, uh, we've only spent our entire lives in our, this business, and we have no idea. <laughs> I don't enter the Peabody Award. Well, Tim, I know that you're a paragon of distinguished broadcast. Uh, so but I have no idea myself. But it may, and it may be difficult uh, for you to believe this, but no one has ever approached me personally about submitting anything for a Peabody Award or an award neither of any kind. Ha neither have I. That's All, I have no idea either. All program entries must be for programs broadcast, cablecast, or released for distribution during the previous calendar year. Okay, the oscillating fan thing counts. Deadline for receipt of entries, next January 15th. All entries must be shipped prepaid to be received by our offices. Uh, late entries incur a fee of $100. So it doesn't look like you actually have to, to pay anything to enter, though. All right, I'm all over this. All right, that's fantastic. Consider that done, Tim. You are going to be entered for a Peabody Award. All right, if there's any, uh, if there's any injustice, you will emerge. What are the prizes? Those. I don't know. We should demand to know what the prizes are before. We should call up and re give somebody a very forceful interrogation about the nature of the prizes. 
And I'm not going to accept anything like respect and esteem from your colleagues. Summer sausage from Hickory Farms. <laughs> <laughs> Do they still give out rice aroni on game shows? I don't know. I haven't watched a game show in ages. Remember the longest time, every time it was like some jackass who went on and like, they didn't want you to feel like a total loser. Mm-hmm. It was like an absolute uh, schmendrick. So they would just eat it. And you're going to get some rice aroni, the San Francisco treat. And here's the thing about rice aroni. Let me say this. Rice aroni is no longer the San Francisco treat. Is that true? It is off the cable cars. And they do not mention San Francisco at all with that product anymore. Did they figure that that was it? Was that uh, having... But in other words, was that a turnoff to some consumers? I don't know. Because it was rice aroni with San Francisco values, presumably? Maybe there was some licensing fee involved that got a little bit too steep from the city of San Francisco. Probably. All right. Um, it's like that thing. Remember that uh, that cracker they used to sell called Better Cheddars? Yes. And it, and it was called San, it was San Francisco style. And as George Carlin noted, by the way, if you put style on the end of everything, it means that whatever the words, the words that came before that are false. So like when they say New York style, not from New York. Home cook style. You know, not 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 home cooked. But the the better Cheddar's commercial always had the guy hanging off the side of the uh, of the San Francisco uh, trolley car. And then one day they didn't anymore. And I always assumed he got he got hit by the city somehow for that. They were trying to ding them. Rice aroni though is one of those things that a you only ever saw advertised or being given away. You never saw anybody actually buy it. And like, it was a thing that just you know, like you never go to anybody's house and there was rice aroni. I always see it on sale at Fred Meyer. Yeah, but, for a dollar. but you never actually see anybody purchasing it. In other words, no. it exists. It, it, and I've always, you know, and I've been disproven like a thousand times. But I always said that circus peanuts were like that. That you'd see circus peanuts for, circus peanuts for sale, but nobody was ever purchasing them. So right, let's move forward. Here's Tim Riley. So anyway, I have just posted that uh, Joe the Plumber video that you just heard. It is. Uh, it's wonderful and horrifying. And also, I have some uh, humor signs from California due to this uh, Proposition Eight thing. That, uh, well, the people against it have their usual signs. This is the God hates whatever. Yeah, people. you can see no. that. I won't see what it is. But standing right next to this child whose parent is forcing him to, to uh, hold up this nasty sign is another sign that says God hates signs. That's wonderful. So that's up there. Including some nice pictures of autumn foliage. I was just going to say the other thing about your neighborhood, and if you've, if you've ever wondered exactly what uh, Tim's uh, residential area looks like, go to RileyLive.com. There is. Now, was that taken from your window or from the outside? It's from my front steps. Okay, so you can see quite literally the view from uh, the front steps of Tim Riley's palatial estate uh, in lovely Tannisborn. Your neighborhood looks a lot like the street in Haddonfield where Halloween takes place. Oh, really? Yeah, it looks a lot like uh, it looks a lot like the street where the uh, whatever it is the um, uh, uh, the Stroud uh, uh, family house is on. So anyway, just food for thought. All right, here's Tim Riley. So in California right now, if voters next week approve the initiative to ban uh, gay nuptials, legal analysts on both sides of the measure predict that a period of legal chaos will ensue with the legality of gay marriages performed between June and November suddenly in doubt. So because the challenge to existing marriages will now raise uh, novel questions, now it is certain how the courts would rule. So we'll find out what kind of chaos happens in California. Hopefully they're smart enough to vote it down. But there are an awful lot of people living in Orange County. Yes, yes, there are. Uh, you know, and I and I am ever so slightly torn here because obviously, uh, what do they say? No for yes and yes for no. Yes. I mean, you know, as we were saying, I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but people should just people should just shut up and get everybody, get off everybody else's back and just uh, as I would say, vote for the party. You just leave me alone. That being said, I always do enjoy chaos. Mm-hmm. I pull for chaos in some small way. So at least there will be that tiny little bit of consolation. 
if this uh, stupid thing passes. And I got a bunch of email. We have a, a, a whole bunch of listeners in California, including a guy from Orange County. And he said that those ads they're playing in Orange County are just as bad as they sounded, because Lycus was actually playing the audio from... So they're going to teach gay marriage to your children. And he said that they're just the most awful ads you can possibly uh, possibly fathom. So uh, the public uh, opinion right now, from what I read, the polling in California is going about 60% against that initiative, which is good news. So mm-hmm. uh, bit by bit, we will drag certain pig-headed people into the late 20th century, at least. Here's Tim Riley. American Express is cutting 7,000 jobs. American Express is one of the better credit cards, at least it was. They plan to cut 7,000 jobs, or about 10% of its worldwide workforce, in an effort to slash costs by $1.8 billion in 2009. The New York-based credit card issuer said they're also suspending management-level salary increases next year and instituting a hiring freeze. The job cuts will be across various business units, but will primarily focus on business decisions. Well, here's some good news. Not everybody is suffering. There is one company that's doing very, very well. ExxonMobil posts its biggest U.S. quarterly profit ever. Thank God for that, Tim. Thank God for that. ExxonMobil, the world's largest publicly traded oil company, reported that it shattered its own record for the biggest profit operations by a U.S. corporation earning $14.83 billion in the third quarter. Here's a dumb question, and I don't know a whole lot about that. I'm not a learned man. Revenue rose 35%. To $137.7 billion. The previous record for U.S. corporate profit was set in the last quarter by ExxonMobil. So my question to you is, I mean, I know gas is expensive and everything, but I was to understand, I was to understand that it was all relative, by which I mean we were paying more for gas, but that's because oil companies were paying more for oil. And the dollar went down in value. Yeah, and so, and plus everybody, you know, people were driving less, and they weren't, you know, at least anecdotally we heard that people, unless you were going to be the featured family in a Barack Obama infomercial, people were choosing to drive smaller cars. Or riding bikes. So how is it that the, I mean, in other words, how is that possible? If they're paying more for the oil and we're not buying as much gas, mm-hmm. how is it that they can still set record profits? Well, the other thing about that is these are international companies. Oh, that's true. So not some... necessarily here in America. Okay, so they're just foisting it off into other gullible nations. Mm-hmm. So this is like how every time there's some sort of tobacco lawsuit, RJR, uh, Nabisco, whatever whatever they're called now, mm-hmm. uh, they just start shoveling more cigarettes onto like uh, onto like the Vietnamese mm-hmm. or something. So I have about uh, two or three pages of lies from ExxonMobil, but I'm not going <laughs> to waste anybody's time or mine reading them. Excellent. I can smell that award getting closer by the moment. All right, it's Tim Riley. I mean, really, how can I read this stuff with a straight face? You know they're putting it to you, don't you? Uh, Sarah Palin doesn't plan on disappearing from national politics if Democrat Barack Obama wins the presidential election Tuesday. She tells ABC News she'll be back in 2012 saying, I'm not doing this for not. Not spelled N-A-U-G-H-T. Palin expressed confidence that the Republican ticket will win November 4th. She says she doesn't plan to give up or wave a white flag of surrender in the face of political criticism thrown her way since being selected for the ticket. Palin and John McCain have been at odds at several issues publicly, such as the use of robocalls that uses which he dislikes, and the decision by McCain to pull out of Mexico, uh, Mexico Michigan several weeks ago. <laughs> Maybe totally that would go be campaign in Mexico. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Who says I shouldn't win a Peabody Award? I met a man at the donkey show. <laughs> and he said to me, Senator... So does she flat out say that she will run in 2012? or She, she doesn't just, say she's going to run. Does she couch it in this euphemistic, I'll she be said back? She, she will be back, Douglas MacArthur style. All right. Uh, oh boy, I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves because it's only Thursday. Mm-hmm. Next Tuesday, the election, don't forget. Be the... here before you know it. 
man. I don't know. It's like, we are now in that weird. You know where we are right now? We're in some sort of long protracted night before Christmas. You know that you know that Christmas Eve, you, you know, and you go to bed when you're, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and Christmas Eve is the longest night of the year as you are trying to get to sleep, and it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you're sitting there just staring at the ceiling, it's like you're all, you know, it's like you're all hopped up on goofballs, just sitting there blinking and just hearing the clock. And you look over, and it doesn't seem to be moving, and it's always around one twelve in the morning, and you can't quite get yourself to nod off, and you know that if you could, you'd wake up and it'd be Christmas, but instead you just sit there and you're grinding your teeth, uh, you know? And so that's kind of what we are, you know, we, we've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then really all day Tuesday, because we're not going to announce anything really until 8 o'clock Pacific time. So It may be over, it may not be over. Oh, man. I've well, had the jitters since last Tuesday. Oh, it's just like, it really is just the best and worst of times. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those days where I accidentally have too many, uh, you know, like too many cups of coffee. Like I lose count. And I have mm-hmm. twelve hundred milligrams of caffeine, and then you're walking around the rest of the day going, "I don't know. I just feel like something's about to happen." And that's kind of where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Roop says flat out that he, he believes it's not going to be over till Wednesday morning. He 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 just says definitively from his vantage point covering this, he thinks it's going to be Wednesday morning at least before they really before somebody just concedes. You know, with, with no holds barred that they have lost. You know, before somebody just, uh, just says definitively they're that. the winner. I believe that. It's entirely possible, especially because the Republicans are already kind of, they're very savvy uh, at certain things. Even, they're, you know, they're having an off year. I mean, the Republicans are just having, just some days you got it and some days you don't. Uh, as Lauren Michael used to, Marcus used to say about performers, and this year the GOP just doesn't have it. And as bad and as incompetent as they are this time around, they are still doing a few things right. And one of those things is going out and planting the seeds in the minds of all of their sort of hardcore base loyalists that the election is about to be stolen. My mother-in-law, who is, let's have no doubts about this, a crazy person, has already started sending my poor wife a whole bunch of stuff about voter fraud, voter irregularities, how Obama's trying to steal it in Ohio, which is great because it guarantees us material and entertainment and amusement past the actual election night. But you can already see that they're going to be, you know, they're going to be kind of rattling the cage about that. Um... I don't think Sarah Palin is dumb enough to actually run for president in 2012 because I think somebody between now and then, right now somebody is, has has gotten to her and they were whispering in her ear, like, you've got to be running in 2012. It's all you. You're the presumptive nominee. That's true. What is also true is that between now and 2012, if Obama wins, somebody with the power to convince her and with the sort of authority to make an impression upon Sarah Palin will sit her down in a room and they will say, look, no fooling, they will kill you. Like they will, they will, figuratively speaking, they will, they will just take you apart. They will take you into your component atomic structure if you try to run in 2012. She must know that. Do you think she'll lose her fire that she has right now? I think, yeah. I, I mean, look, let's have no illusions about this. I would love to see Sarah Palin run in 2012. I think that'd be a fantastic oh, campaign. Man. I mean, it makes me. I mean, I become, I become giddy and filled with exuberance at the thought of Sarah Palin running for president in 2012. You couldn't make me happier. Uh, the only way you could make me happier is if you had her running in 2016 and it was against, you know, Hillary Clinton. I mean, that would be the best thing. And I, you know what? I would happily, just like uh, Ray Bradbury says at the end of the Halloween tree, I would trade one year of my life on earth for that. I'd cut off one of my fingers for that right now. I'm going to tell you this. I mean, just to whoever's listening out there in the great karmic wheel of life, whoever does the great reckoning and adding up in the universe, I, Rick Emerson, I will cut off one of my fingers, not my thumbs, but I'll cut off one of my fingers. Uh, in exchange for getting to see Hillary Clinton run against Sarah Palin in either four or eight years. 
I mean, it'd be unbelievable. That'd be pretty great. I don't think she's going to do it, though. I think that she will end up going on the speaking circuit for the rest of her career, or she will be a policy advisor, or they'll, they'll put her, God forbid, in the cabinet somewhere. There's no way they let her actually run as much as I'd like to see. It's just not going to happen. So John McCain's campaign is a Lickmore scapegoat if he does indeed lose, and they have decided it's going to be Sarah Palin. In recent days, a McCain advisor told Dana Brash of CNN, she is a diva. She takes no advice from everyone. A top McCain advisor uh, tells uh, somebody with a blog that Palin is a whack job. Maybe she is. Uh, so McCain doesn't seem to care that much. McCain recently admitted on national TV he doesn't know her well at all. Okay. Well, you read that New York Times, the New York Times magazine that thing. That was incredible. The uh, making and remaking of John McCain. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's one of those articles like the Mad Men article you gave me that time. Mm-hmm. Where you really got to settle in, and you got—it's like reading that Christopher Hitchens book, where you got to turn off the radio, you got to close, you know, turn off the TV, shut the door, and, and, and block out all distractions because it's so densely written that it's very difficult to sort of wage. You can't slog through that in like like ten minutes. Well, according to the article, what really hurt McCain was that day he decided to go to Washington and right. fix all the financial woes, yeah. like within 24 hours. Yeah. And he just went there, and TV camera showed him just sitting there and not participating. Sitting around, doing nothing. So, doing a so then he went back to his campaign after not being able to fix our problems. So I guess he had three decisions to make, and he chose wrongly. Yeah. Well, I, and I've heard a lot of people say that Republicans who are voting for, and I don't know how many Republicans are actually voting for Obama, but of the of that number... Of the so-called uh, Obamacans, Republicans who were voting for Barack Obama, I've heard probably 50% of them say that Sarah Palin was the deciding factor. But they were just like, I, ca- I cannot put that woman like you know, in the vice presidency. I just There's no way I can't do it. So, well, all right. Uh, well, let's take a break so we get caught up here because we're way behind. Why, that sounds wonderful. Take a break. We'll come back. More news from Tim Riley around the corner later on. Dorothy Cassisari from the National Enquirer will do today's top five. Top five rock songs from a horror film. We'll do an exit poll, a tie concept Thursday, and Steve Kathenbaum from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum from Philadelphia. Uh, Dorothy Carcassari from the... This is Dorothy Carcassari from the National Choir. Richie, hold on. Come, come back everything. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show our intrepid PA, Richie. <sighs> Hello. Hello. Hey. Why? So here's what just happened as I was trying to forward promote several of the items of amusement that are on today's agenda. Richie just ran into the studio holding the Sarah Palin blow-up doll. And I see, by the way, that her area is still uncovered. Oh, well, I hit it in the corner. So what is it? Why Why have you brought it? What, what, you just ran into the studio with it. Because I just saw around the corner Susan's uh, daughter's coming around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I think she's getting food or something. But I saw her and went, oh, no, I don't want her to see this. All right. Well, Wait. I'm sure that Susan thanks you for your, uh, for your foresight. It's all clean now. We're family-friendly down here. All right. Thank you, Richie. All right. Uh, anyway, coming up later on, Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, uh, Top 5 High Concept Thursday, Steve Kastenbaum, etc. Just, uh, let's see, some more notes from folks about last night's Obama thing. Uh, Rick, you don't care, but here are some of my thoughts about the Obama special. I'm watching it on HGTV, and there's still the letterbox effect. 
I hate it when I'm watching my widescreen HD television and I still get a 4.3 picture that has bars at the top and the bottom. WTF is the point. I think it's because that's fake widescreen because they do because they know that most people still have the square tube or whatever. So they're giving you you know the, the so they're giving you the fake widescreen to make me think that I'm you know part of the uh, part of the electronic elite. Um, here's another one. The first family bothers me. They're complaining about money, but they live in a nice house. They can afford to buy their kids football equipment, and they have a nice car. What would other impoverished people from other countries think about their so-called plight? Uh, let's see. Later on. Still pissed about the letterbox thing. Why do widescreen if you're not going to broadcast in widescreen? Uh, let's see. Did Barack's buy a wife just mention Harry Potter? Yes. Um... Blah, 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 blah. All right, here we go. Here's Tim Riley. So, obviously, few people feel sorry about the people who were in that film last night. I wouldn't say everybody. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. The, uh, a good number of people? I would say... There, well, there is a concern. I would say that of the criticism that I have heard about last night's Obama thing, specifically with some of the, the anecdotal, you know, the, the human interest stories, I would say that most of it seems to settle on that first family. And then a little bit on the, uh, what's it, the Ford guy or whatever, where like, uh, it was a guy said that, you know, he's, the, I hate to sound like a jerk, but the, the bitching about how they're poor, and yet he's taking his, like, massive family, his, his whole brood out to eat. The, uh, I think the story that resonated the best is just my take. The story that resonated the most and that rang, I think, probably the most true for everybody was the retired couple where the wife has the rheumatoid arthritis or whatever, and the guys happen to go work at Walmart, even after he's retired. Because, see, that's it's one thing for, you and I were talking about this earlier, that Americans have this fantasy that a company's going to keep you around forever, and you're going to have a job for life, and you're going to go to work for the company at 18, and then you're going to retire at 65, and you're going to be set. And I think that that was, that was the case in a certain slice of American history and in certain industries. Uh, Michael Moore sort of touches on that, and Roger and me. So it's one thing if you're kind of banking on that and then you don't ever really take into account, well, hey, the company might sack me. That guy, though, that was going to work at Walmart, I think his story was a little different and probably struck a little bit of a common fear because, if I remember correctly, he actually had worked all the way to retirement. Mm -hmm. He had retired. He was presumably drawing a pension. Yes. And yet his wife got sick, health care costs through the roof, uh, and then he's having to, like, clip on a Walmart tag and go to work, which I think is kind of everybody's fear. That you're going to get to the age of 65 or 70, you're going to retire, and even then, having played the game by the rules and having followed that that particular line all the way through the end, you're going to retire, and that still won't be enough. That, I think, is what freaks people out. The idea that even if you do make it to that sort of magic end, end zone mm -hmm. is not going to be enough to cover, and you're going to end up, you know, you're going to be stuck behind a counter somewhere selling Slim Jims to hooligans. So, all right, here's Tim Riley. So that crash we told you about. At I-205, just north of 224, the left and the center lanes are open. The right lane is still closed. It, it was two vehicles. One was a flatbed trailer loaded with temporary concrete barriers. Oh. All right, which don't make anyone stay. No, I don't want to be hit by that. So back to this other stuff. Uh, the Democratic presidential nominee, Barack Obama, has entered the final lap of his campaign with a slick half-hour infomercial. McCain political director Michael Duhame says it appears Obama is trying to buy this election. It's interesting with all the homes for sale. I didn't think the White House would be one that's for sale. And I think it does underscore the fact that he has got so much money and really is trying to buy the election. He went back on his word on public financing. It, Barack Obama should just, in fact, he doesn't even need to at this point. You know what? I've been giving a lot of advice to Obama lately. It's been a while since we've given the, you know, the McCain campaign a tip. I think I speak for everybody when I say that uh, 
the wave, as they call it in politics, the general, the, the zeitgeist, the buzz, the conventional wisdom, does seem to be with the Democratic Party this year. Mm-hmm. So, really, McCain has nothing to lose at this point. McCain ought to just go on TV and offer to flat out buy it. He should just ask, like, well, look, how much? My wife is loaded. His wife is loaded. Yeah, you just give me the amount and I will raise it. If, if, if John McCain just offered, if he went on television and just offered to send everybody in the country... $200 to vote for him, I'd vote for him right there. I mean, that's concrete. You know what I mean? I'd want at least 300 it's, Really? You're going to hold out? Yeah. Uh, maybe I can give you a 200 and some trade. Uh, I mean, nobody does anything tangible or concrete or, you know, actually finite. So at least that'd be something. You know, just give me a, give me a couple hundred bucks. We'll call it good. So uh, McCann's political director says... Barack Obama has broken promises. I think it does underscore the fact he really is trying to buy the election. He went back on his word on public financing. I mean, he pledged to abide by public financing. He's the first candidate since uh, Watergate uh, to go against it. And I think that's telling about who Barack Obama is. Is this just noise at this point? I think it is. And whatever happened, who is this guy? What happened to Tucker what's his guts? Oh, that guy's from Oregon, believe it or not. That Tucker uh, Tucker Bounds. Not to be confused with Tucker Carlson. No, no one is. No one's confused with Tucker Carlson anymore. I'm sure uh, Tucker Carlson... I'm sure his wife loves him dearly. I'm sure that he and his wife are, uh, even as we speak now, enjoying their home in which they presumably don't share a bed uh, and living in separate wings of the residence as far away from each other as they possibly can. Well, they work different hours. Yes, they do, Tim. Uh, Let's see. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Uh, Regarding uh, nutcases and appointments... Yes. uh, With uh, Sarah Palin, it was discussed this morning that I picked up that realized what will happen if Ted Stevens resigns from uh, the Senate, right? Yes. Okay, you know who makes him right. yes. uh, replace him? No. The governor of the state. Wait, so, so it, is that true? So, if Ted, so Ted Stevens is the Alaska guy that just got hit with all the corruption yes, stuff, right? right. But he's, and, he's not going to quit. So and, if he quits, it's got to be it's Sarah Palin? She could appoint herself to replace ah, him. Ah, really? Stevens. And stay in, uh, stay in the Senate for, uh, you know, 16 years, two or three terms. That's whatever, handy. And, and mm-hmm. then she'll always be there to to pick on uh, uh, Barack or whoever. Wait, so is that – now, let's – please don't take any offense at this inquiry. Now, is that true or is that just some stuff people That's said true. was true? Oh, if he resigns – well, let's, let me just ask. If he resigns, the yeah. governor can appoint a replacement, but can the governor appoint oneself? Why not? Well, because maybe there's a law, because maybe it's illegal. I don't know. Yeah, but she, she, she could appoint herself, and then they would have a special mm. election to replace her. That sounds so. Uh, that sounds so tantalizing. It can't possibly be true. There's got to be some rule against that. Uh, you got to listen to some other uh, more uh, left-wing uh, talk stations. They're the ones who discuss it. Well, listen while they're there, sir. Yeah. All right. Hey, speaking of buying them out, maybe time for such things. Send. Apparently, uh, apparently you're not alone. So maybe, yeah. In fact, you know, really just send them the two hundred dollars. They need it. Here's two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars. You're listening to KCMD Portland. Here's Tim Riley. So right after his infomercial last night, Barack Obama appeared on the Daily Show with John Stewart, speaking by a satellite from Florida. Obama joked about being a biracial candidate and talked about the Bradley effect. I think that there's a certain segment uh, of hardcore Sean Hannity fans that probably wouldn't want to go have a beer with me. There's no doubt about that. Are there hardcore Sean Hannity fans? Yes. Many. Really? Yes. I, I mean, li- couple. Not, I don't mean hardcore conservatives or fans of perhaps a right, right-leaning talk radio. I mean actual fans of Sean Hannity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who? 
Who do you know that's a hardcore Sean Hannity fan? He's a crazy trucker. Really? Yeah. I mean, it had nothing to do with politics. Sean Hannity, it's just a, it's like... He's a rush light. You know what Sean Hannity is like? You know those little uh, those clock radio things you can get that make the soothing noises? Where it's like it's white noise or it's ocean surf or foghorn supposed to like lull you to whatever? Sean Hannity is like one of those, but it's like the sound of someone spooning oatmeal onto a plate. Just over and over. I mean, at least Bill O'Reilly, he's got a little panache to him. I mean, I've said this before. I mean, people people have ideological problems with a guy like Rush or Bill O'Reilly. It doesn't matter to me. They're all just jackasses, as am I, by the way. No, you're one... not. No, I mean, no, I'm just... don't listen to them. We're... I'm just saying we're all carnival barkers to one degree or another. At least Bill O'Reilly has a little bit of amusement factor to him because you get the feeling that at any given moment he's about to come across the table and belt the guy in the mouth. Like, no matter who it is. I mean, it, Bill O'Reilly could be arguing with a nine-year-old, and you get the feeling that he is just one sentence away from going, screw this, bam, right? He used to work in Portland. In face. Yeah. Um, KTW, right? Uh, I believe so. And then that was that was before the famous Epic We'll Do It Live video. Yeah. But Sean Hannity, I just find to be, uh, that's just pablum, man. It's like listening to a big bowl of shredded wheat. People love that stuff. All right. Obama admits probably he won't win over every voter in America. Are you concerned that you may... Go into the voting booth, and I won't know what to do. Your, your white half will all of a sudden right. decide, be... I, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. That's funny. It is funny. He jokes about not being able to make his white half feel comfortable about voting for an African-American. I've been going through therapy to make sure that I vote properly on, uh, on the 4th. Now we get to Sarah Palin, as we would eventually. Uh, so she's uh, drumming up support. She asked thousands of supporters a critical question ahead of the election. Missouri, I would ask you, will you hire us? Would you send us to Washington? To That's will ya, Y-U-H, mm -hmm. by the way. You know, I saw on, uh, uh, was it Larry King? I think it was Larry King. And it was Karen Hughes. Mm -hmm. And Karen Hughes, of course, one of the uh, one of the people who crafted the Republican message over the Bush presidency. Karen Hughes is interesting, first of all. I mean, she looks more like, speaking of truck drivers, she just looks more and more butch every time I see her. There was a there was a certain time when Karen Hughes, who always had this kind of short, thatchy blonde hair, where you got the feeling she was kind of feminine, but maybe it was just sort of like hard nosed, like a take no, like a take no guff kind, of, like she wanted to, you know, didn't want to trade on her sexuality. You see her now, man. It's like she ought to be like installing cyclone fencing or something, like in a tough neighborhood. There's a whole lot of. I think she does a lot of dog walking. Um, but anyways, she was one of the people who really crafted the the the, uh, the Republican message during the Bush years, and it is interesting to see her interviewed now because she is credited with, I mean, you call it dumbing down or making the language uh, a little more folksy, but she is credited with revamping the sort of Republican vocabulary to say things like betcha and hire us and you know and boy howdy and darn tootin'. Well, and you notice this? Have you, and this is for both sides of the aisle. Have you noticed that in speeches now we no longer talk about mothers and fathers? We talk about moms and dads. Yeah. And we no longer talk about children. We talk about kids or reading to kids. Yeah. But not reading, Tim. Reading. Reading to kids. And because that's an activity that goes on in every American household every night. Always, Tim. The parents just can't get enough of educating those children. Only the Bible and encyclopedias. And so she is credited with introducing that sort of softening of the language. So whenever you hear anybody using kind of a folksy term for something, yeah, uh, and like go, going down to buy me a bag of flour, uh, or dropping their G's on a word, 
like reading and writing, that is all Karen Hughes. So there's really one woman you can thank for that. So thanks so much. What? Karen Hughes. Hey, Karen Hughes. So the ratings are out on the infomercial last night. A total of 30 million people watch, with NBC drawing 10 million, CBS with 8.4 million, and just under 8 million on Fox. The combined audience for the paid time was more than the highest-rated television show last week, which is CSI on CBS, which drew 20 million viewers. It's estimated the campaign paid at least $3.5 million to wear that 30-minute spot. Well, all right, then. There's a toy doll out meant to create realistic baby sounds, drawing controversy because it mutters a... Muslim message. The Fisher-Price Little Mummy Cuddling Koo Doll allegedly says, Islam is the light. <laughs> what? Islam is the light. Can you play that one more time? Sure. That's the best thing you can do with a doll these days. You can barely hear it. I'm just going to say, are they getting the doll from the same place we get all of our sound bites now, where it's just some guy in the back of the room holding up a malfunctioning cell phone? Well, it does sound like that, but maybe that's only because you said the phrase beforehand. The only scripted word the doll says is mama. Is this one of those, wait, but hold on. Is this one of those dolls that, like, you say crap to it and it, it, it remembers it or learns it and then talks back to you? I'm not familiar with it. It's like a, a little mommy cuddling coo doll. Yeah, well, remember there was that... Wasn't there some doll? Didn't we have some fantastic story about six months ago about a doll that was telling a kid it was going to kill him? Oh, yeah, that was great. Which is, it was fantastic. Not for him, but for us. Right. Uh, and we did the whole thing about talking Tina because it was like, it was like a kid named James or something. And it was like, you know, cut off James's head or whatever. Like you pulled, like you would pull the string on the doll and it would say like, feed me. And then the next one was like, you know, let's go for a walk. And the next one was like, you know, like, I will pull out your entrails. And it, and it was something where, like, it had learned the kid's name, because I guess the microchip inside is supposed to learn your kid's name to be personalized. But then there was some random sort of confluence of, 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 of vowel sounds that somehow made it sound like he was threatening to kill the kid. And by the way, I'm going to tell you right now, you left that kid in, the, in a nuthouse now. There's not enough therapy in the world. He's, he's already gone. Just wash your hands of him. Try again. Here's Tim Riley. Time for a snuff watch. Here's your, really? Yes. Here's your snuff watch for Thursday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Oh, by the way, Tim, you'd be interested to know that uh, rice aroni is now made in Oakland. Just so you know. It is now the Oakland treat. <laughs> I don't think. I think the Oakland treat comes with a glass pipe. Mm-hmm. Or somebody's bones in the box. Yeah. By the way, you're tuned to KCMD Portland. A CBS radio station. At 970 kilocycles. Stopwatch. Actress Estelle Reiner, the wife of actor Carl Reiner and mother to actor Rob Reiner, has died. The New York Times quotes Rob Reiner, who says Estelle died Saturday, and did so of natural causes at her Beverly Hills home. She was 94. It was Rob Reiner's classic 1989 romantic comedy, When Harry Met Sally, that Estelle delivered one of the film's most memorable lines. She punctuated the unforgettable deli scene featuring Meg Ryan's very public demonstration on how women fake gratification during intimacy. Yes! 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 Oh! Oh, 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 God, oh. I'll have what she's having. All I remember about that is how 
unbelievably awkward it was to see that movie for the first time. It was time. just awkward to listen to. I know. Not really knowing, uh, you, know, what we, you know, what was coming in the film. Just sort of sitting there. And I think I saw it in a group of, like, what we used to call mixed company. Whereas me and, like, some other guys and some girls or whatever. And I just, and I think I was maybe... Jesus, like 17, 18, you know, when all this stuff is, you know, it's it, when it's very easy to feel uh, embarrassed about all those things anyway. And I think we were just sitting like in somebody's living room watching that film when that happened. And it was uh, made for a very tense uh, few minutes. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Ryder also appeared in such films as Fatso in 1980. Fatso with Dom DeLuise. Yes. Uh, yeah, for the win. In 1983's The Man with Two Brains with Steve Martin. What was she in The Man with Two Brains, did it say? I don't remember. Man, The Man with Two Brains, that's an overlooked comedic classic. Everybody remembers The Jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Man with Two Brains is really, that's a sterling achievement. She was also an accomplished painter, visual artist, and cabaret singer. You know, everybody's a painter. That's mm-hmm. the, the, the painter, any time you have any connection to the arts, you're a musician, you're a singer, you're a dancer, you, uh, you, you whatever. Doesn't matter what you do, in your off time, what do you do? Well, I paint a lot, and then they'll show, like I'm behind the music. Every single behind the music, they go to some uh, jackass's house, and he's got, uh, you know, like a like a sun-drenched drawing room full of paintings he's made that no one cares about. They first started that with Mellencamp, but subsequent to that, every single rock singer is also a painter. All right. Well, uh, she's dead. There's your snuff watch for uh, Thursday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I'll also say this. I don't mean to sit and pick apart a movie that's like 20 years old. That thing about Meg Ryan uh, faking the, uh, the female gratification, as great a movie as When Harry Met Sally is, and it really is. It's a wonderful film. I wouldn't say it's the best romantic comedy. Best romantic comedy ever is, uh, it's tricky. I mean, I would say, I'm just saying for me now, this is just my opinion. Best romantic comedy, it's like a three-way tie, really. There's Annie Hall. There's Say Anything. And there's Love Actually, which is really just a, a splendid film. You've never seen Love Actually. You really, you really do. Just, you, know, you owe it to yourself to watch that. When, How- when Harry Met Sally is really good. It's a great film. But that scene is always the one scene that kind of, even in subsequent viewings, when I was sort of over the weirdness of it, it just, uh, it just, it's the one scene that rings false in that movie. Because the thing about it, I think Nora Ephron wrote that. And she has a real ear for how men and women really think and how they really engage with one another. But that is the scene that is good as it is doesn't ring true because you don't ever believe that Meg Ryan's character would really do that in a public place. So as funny as it is, it's clearly a thing that should have been taken out in the editing process, but they left it in because test audiences really reacted to it well. I don't ever believe that Meg Ryan's character would engage in such behavior, though, so it was always... And always it thudded a little bit for me when I would watch the film. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hello, you? Yes. Yes. You are such a drinker of the Kool-Aid on the Democratic Party. Do you know that James Carville... Uh, was actually far from, uh, you know, being, he was, he was on the scene with that southern dialect, uh, far before Karen Hughes. What are we talking about now? Uh, that you were saying about Karen Hughes and her, uh, sort of casual pronunciation of the language? Well, Karen Hughes did take a really, and, you know, I'm, look, you know, I'm not a Democrat any more than I am a Republican. Uh, but I am an admirer of the political, you know, of political machinations and uh, what Kissinger called the, you know, the real politic, the strategizing. And I'm also a fan of language and speech giving and how it's done and how people uh, use and shape the lexicon. And she is she is given a lot of credit, especially during the Bush years, though, with adding a lot of with sort of uh, folksifying the way that the Bush administration, uh, you, you know, the way they delivered things in speeches and certainly the way W himself did it. I mean, so. 
Well, the thing. The I mean, good luck. Because here's the thing: you don't have to. Just real quickly, here's the thing with, with Carville: is you don't really have to work too hard because Carville A is a Southerner, and B, Bill Clinton himself is from Arkansas and kind of talks that way naturally. George W. Bush is from New England, so. Right, but but I mean, maybe Karen Hughes is a, a native Texan. I don't know. It's unclear. I think she comes from the planet Snoo Snoo, uh, personally. But I, um, so you know, I mean, obviously everything happens in you know in stages. Nobody, nobody, uh, you know, reinvents the wheel by themselves. But certainly over the last eight years, and I'm not saying it's a knock. Look, I don't care. Uh, it's just interesting to note that people you don't really think about. You know, that behind the scenes. Activities. What fascinates me that there is somebody sitting in a room somewhere looking at dial groups and saying, "All right, uh, try saying ain't a little bit more, and then uh, reference that you ate at a Cracker Barrel restaurant last night. Let's see how that works, you know." And then finding out that it, you know, that it tests well, and then continuing with it. So see who can destroy the King's English in the more elegant way. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm no paragon of linguistic purity or, or anything. I just, uh, it's just a thing it is me. So I don't, had nothing to do with drinking the Kool-Aid. I just, uh, you know, I'm always fascinated by the back door, uh, back door, the, uh, the, the, um, you know, the, the back room, the, the sort of shaping and molding of a message, sir. The thing that I remembered about Karen Hughes is, is that I saw her in a press conference once there had been some sort of a, a big crisis. It was early in W's administration, and I remember being impressed with how, really, how direct and no nonsense she was in answering the the reporter's questions. Oh, seriously? Well, because who's going to cross her? Imagine knock your teeth out. I'm sorry. Say again. Yeah, no. She. I, I mean, I don't even know who would cross Karen Hughes because she looks like she'd come and body check you right in the throat. <laughs> well, she maybe would do that, but I, I found her very well spoken, even though you know, fans the. Uh, the southern accent perhaps would help. I suppose. You know, we can all agree on this, though, sir. Left or right, Democratic, Republican. Dee Dee Myers, hottest press secretary in the last 30 years, closely followed, by, though, by the current one, Dana Perino, uh, who is sort of hot in a kind of evil-looking way. You know, the thing I remember of Dana Perino was when this whole thing came up, uh, something about the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis that, that brought that story back recently. She was kind of flummoxed. She was like, she didn't really know the, the background behind the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I thought that's pretty sad to have her in that position. Yeah, but I noticed that she wears her skirts pretty short, so that counts for a lot with me. What is? Are you a stay-at-home dad? Are you a single dad? What's your deal there? <laughs> no, I'm in between, but right now, today, I have two grandchildren with me. Can they say anything? Can they, can they speak? Uh, the one can, but at his own wish. He, he You cannot cue him to, to say anything. What sorts of things does he say? Does he say anything uh, awkward or embarrassing? No, he no. says kitty and shoe, and and no, he's good with no. Uh, it's weird what things kids latch onto. Why would you latch onto shoe? I mean, really, what is not going to have cause to use that word for several years? I would think it's interesting that that would become part of his vocabulary. Because he was given a, uh, there he says hi. He was given a brand new pair of a little boots that he really liked, and so he he just for some reason was latched onto that and right. learned the word. All right, well, thank you for the uh, thank you for the call, sir. You call us anytime. Thank you. Uh, there you go. I was gonna try to make the kids say something, uh, say something weird. Kids are, you know what kids are like. I was, uh, it was at the, uh, the party some time ago, and the, it was that thing where as you get older and older and older, everybody. I mean, this happens more and more every year, right? As you get older, more of your friends are married, have kids, have houses, have whatever, and then you realize, you know, it's just sort of thrown into stark relief what a freak you are. And by you, I mean me. So Laura and I were at this party, and Sarah was there. Sarah obviously not married, no kids, but almost everybody there is like carrying around some like. 
baby satchel on their back. You know what I mean? Like, and then an actual baby on the other, and then there's the emasculating sad side. I'm of the it. only one remaining. Do you see, but you know what I'm talking about. And yeah. then, you know, and then you'll see, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody because I know what, whatever. I know that God, you know, children are from heaven and, you know, whatever. Uh, but interesting, the sad side of all these, like, especially if it's at one of Sarah's parties, all these, like, hard ass, like, punk guys within, like, a diaper bag over the shoulder. And you just want to pull them aside. That makes you feel awkward as a person who's not involved in that whole culture. It doesn't really make me feel awkward anymore. I think my wife still feels a little bit of an outsider, you know, because I don't know, because I think I've always just sort of, I've always just sort of recognized that I don't want kids, and I've sort of known that from day one. Like, not for me. Um, But I was watching the way that the parents interact with some of these kids, and you realize the kids are like self-extracting software programs. Where you kind of double click on it to install, and then you just step back and, you know, install shield, the wizard is beginning, and then the program just does everything. And I guess you kind of select the language, or like the region, or like full install, or custom. And you're like, I don't know, just do whatever's recommended. And then the program does all the work by itself, and you just got to hope that it doesn't, like, F up. That's kind of with the kid. Like, you start the kid, and I guess you can sort of direct it one way or the other, but really, the kid's just going to extract itself and grow, and if it's flawed or corrupted, nothing you can do about it. Just hope for, hope that they fix it in the next one, you know what I mean? All right, here's Tim Riley. But the good part is, they age quickly. I mean, they're in high school, then it's on to college, and it's like that. They're gone. They age quickly unless you don't... Sometimes they're gone. I was going to say, <laughs> they age quickly uh, unless you're one of those parents that realized early on that perhaps you'd chosen poorly, in which case it just seems to take an eternity. And I know that just based on some friends of mine who are like, you know, I, uh, the things I do over. Uh, do you ever hear this? Do you ever have uh, friends you know who have kids? And you always know what's coming when they when they use this statement as a preface. They will say, and this is often late at night, frequently after three or four glasses of wine, you'll hear this. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I love my kids. Totally. And then it's always followed by, but oh God, if really, if I could, uh, if I could just dump them at that Nebraska hospital right now and get away with it, oh, the things I would do differently. But but the smart women know how to suck money out of relatives, saying it's for your children. Totally. Because I live with a woman like that For who certain. has two young kids, and she always, okay, how can I get money? I have to do the guilt thing. Yeah. Right. We don't want uh, little Trevor going without his soccer uniform, now do we? No, no and of it, course and not. And it's always in the situation with strangers where the relatives cannot say no. Totally. So they have a pre-planned. You use kids to suck money out of the rest of your relatives in front of strangers. Kids are like financial black holes uh, mm-hmm. for you and for everybody around you. Anyway, my mom used to, uh, sometimes in her uh, more despondent moments, my mom used to frequently tell us that. She would say, look, I love, and this is like directly to us. This isn't like a conversation we overheard. She would say this to us. She'd say, look, you know I love you kids, but if I had it to do over again, you know, I really wouldn't have had any of you. I would have become a nun. And she wasn't joking about that. My mom has uh, frequently lamented that she did not enter the service of our Lord. Uh, she wishes that she had, in fact, uh, become a nun and sometimes it was just the observation about how she wished she could become a nun. Often, though, uh, if she'd had maybe a trying day or there wasn't quite as much uh, food in that refrigerator as there ought to have been, she'd say things like, I love you kids, but boy, wow, I uh, wow, I wish I could just go back and, and just, uh, just eliminate a lot of you. Boy, that would be really great. And then you kind of go, well, okay, and then you have dinner. Here's Tim Riley. So let's talk about uh, nuts that can be deadly. But Halloween coming up, there are a lot of kids out there ringing doorbells, and they're, being given, they're uh, being given candy with nuts. And they're allergic. They could pass out. Could be even worse. Is this the Cleveland Clinton? No, this is the Vanderbilt Children's Hospital of Nashville, their first time with us. 
They say it's best to separate different types of candy, even though they're individually wrapped to avoid the possibility of cross-contamination. Think about a kid sticking their hand in that candy bowl. Anything can cause a small tear in a wrapper. Anything that potentiates the danger of cross-contamination is something you need to worry about. So I actually recommend that you don't mix your candies. Keep them separate. That's Nurse Shannon Alley. A whole generation of soft, weak-ass children. That's she said the wrong kind of candy can be very dangerous. We see lots of symptoms from peanut allergies or any other food allergies, which include itchy throats, swelling tongues, rashes, or even death from difficulty breathing. You know, I think I speak for everybody when I say, look, it's a nut-filled world, kids. You're just going to have to get you're going to have to get with the program or you know, nature will just sort things out. I mean, this I, just started up in the past few years. Well, I know, and you know, and we—I mention that quite frequently, and I know that everybody has heard me heard this rant from me like a hundred times already. I mean, don't take this the wrong way, Sarah. At least Sarah's not here to start yelling at me that I'm wrong about it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I'm wrong about it. I think I don't understand why suddenly, within the last decade, children were just being felled by the score by nut. If all it takes to get rid of a certain section of humans is like a, a walnut. You know what? There's a, you know, I'll tell you, those, the, the, nature has a way of making the herd stronger. That's all I'm going to say. And I mean, re, I mean, you don't hear about it with anything else, right? You don't, no, no, no. You know, my kid is deathly waffles. Waffles will kill him dead. You don't hear about that with anything but nuts. It's only nuts that will kill your kid for some reason. And pretty soon, right next to the handicapped parking spaces, parking spaces for people allergic to nuts. Dad, if we let it go too far. Did you know, Tim, that they will not, uh, now they don't serve anything nut-oriented in school? In fact, now, what, and what is the deal with that? Because you'll see that thing on a, on a label sometimes. This is another recent example of the softening of America. You'll see that thing on a, on a, like a candy label, a food package, or says, the part of this food was made in a factory that once had nuts in it 15 oh, years ago. Yeah. So, and I, they actually know they don't only serve nuts on airplanes because of that. So I would like, just, when I have time, because i got nothing but free time. When I have time, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do some sort of uh, Lexus Nexus search or whatever. And I'm going to look at news reports about people being killed by nuts and see exactly when this entire... By the way, you will note that I've gone through this entire thing without using the, the dreaded phrase. But we've gone nuts over this. Uh, but to see when these news stories started coming out. I think it must have been around... I'm saying, Kristen, uh, now you are in your 20s. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were in school, did they tell you to keep nuts away because it was going to, like, because it was going to kill off half the class? No, there was, like, one kid who nobody talked to. Really? Yeah. It was shunned. <laughs> shunned by the collective. All right, then. Well, anyway, so I'm going to go back and research. It just seems it, it just seems a little made up. That's all I'm saying. All right. Um, hey, Richie, is this, the, uh, is this Scott from the, Rocky, uh, from the Clinton Street Cabaret, the Rocky Horror interview, uh, Rocky Horror picture show thing? All right, so we'll do that here in just a few. Uh, let's do a couple of these calls, a couple of stories, then we'll talk to uh, Scott from uh, the Clinton Street Cabaret about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is happening tomorrow. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hello. Um, I didn't have the chance to listen to the first part of the show due to work. Um, I sent you the email with a couple links with uh, the Brock songs. YouTube. Are these the now? I I got several uh, emails this morning from different folks with Barack's and some of them are like rap songs. There was like a jazz one. There was something else. Yeah, uh, I, I sent you uh, three links. Two of them were by the same guy, and then one of them's like uh, an R&B song, or something like that. But uh, Barack and Roll. For, uh, I will have to say, them. I mean, I, this is an awkward phrase. Not since 9/11 has a national event given us so much bad music. I mean, really, I thought we had reached a high watermark after September 11th, when just every jackass with a Casio keyboard and a microphone was recording some tearful Dear Mr. President crap. But, man, this election has really brought out just a failed musician in everybody. I got some spam for the Obama mamas. 
Oh no, that one's bad. That one, that we played that song the other day. Paddock gave it to us. He's like, check this out. It's terrible and great. The thing about that Obama Mama song is there's no chorus. There's no hook at all. There's build up, uh, verse, verse. I think actually a bridge at one point. No chorus to speak of of any kind. It's See, mystified. what I don't get is what are these guys going to do after the election? Their their careers are over. No, after but, you know, like three months. The thing is, thanks to the internet, that stuff is just going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be you would record a bad novelty song and then it would sort of go away until you found that it sounded like a flea market somewhere. But you know, that'll be floating around forever. I think the Obama girl was entertaining. Yeah, that's like some bad round of chicken pox. You never get rid of it. That Barack and Roll song is a white guy rapping, and I think it's one of those songs that's so bad it gets back to being good again. All right. Well, we'll look into it. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Got more here. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, so a couple of things on the whole kid thing. Yes, sir. I completely agree with you on the peanuts. My daughter at her daycare wasn't even allowed to have peanut anything in her lunch. So then the question is, and I and I and I apologize for like the people who've heard me do this a billion times. Is it just somehow being reported more, or is there some sort of like super nut or something that has come into existence that like you know like Jordy Verrill found it inside a meteorite and it's taken over the whole uh, countryside and you know, now we're I giving people nuts filled with no death? idea. But I know that. You know, even in kindergarten, my daughter was able to bring peanut anything with her. Yeah. But then by the time she was in fifth grade, no peanuts, right. no moss. Maybe this is like, uh, maybe it's like the reverse of the uh, the uh, the English pepper moth or something, where rather than adapting to our environment to become more hardy, maybe we have just developed some weird deficiency uh, over the last 10 years or so. And this is, you know, really it's going to be like that, whatever, the, the happening, that Shyamalan thing where the plants rise up against us. Maybe it's true, but it's really just peanuts. Nuts are rising up as the dominant life form on Earth, be afraid. Yeah, hey, I was also going to say my daughter, you know, I, I absolutely love my daughter. And she was home from school, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And she was listening to AM 970. Good for her. Excellent. <laughs> now, is that, All in the on the website. Now, is that of her own volition, or did you have her do that? No, I, she absolutely did it on her own. All right. What is, is She's not listening now, is she? No, she's in school right now. She's going to listen tomorrow, though. Excellent. Uh, what time will she be listening tomorrow, sir? Uh, I believe the whole show. Uh, what is her name, if you don't mind me asking? Her name's Mara. Mara, M-A-A uh, or U? M-A-R-A. M-A-R-A, Mara. Okay, I'll give Mara a little shout-out tomorrow. Awesome. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Rick. All right. All right. Uh, let's do uh, one here from Tim Riley. Then we'll talk to Scott uh, from the Clinton Street Cabaret about the Rocky Horror Picture Show happening tomorrow. A teacher in eastern Oregon in the town of Aragon is accused of stealing textbooks and selling them on eBay. The town of what? Aragon. I can... I-R-R-I-G-O-N. All right, I got three different things. One, I can... Is Aragon the Strider guy from Lord of the Rings? And then two, or is Aragon that huge king spider that's in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? Or three, is Aragon that weird dragon series book by that like uh, that seventeen year old? I want to say the dragon series book, but I might be wrong. Because isn't there like a spider in the third Harry Potter that's Aragon, Aragorn, Aragorn? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. All right. Yes. Well, Forrest McKinnis has been on administrative leave since September when it was discovered that textbooks stored in a closet were allegedly being sold on the website. The Morrow County Sheriff's Office arrested the thirty-one year old on charges of theft. An official misconduct. A grand jury indicted him this week. He's a former educator of the year. And also coached the Hepner High School basketball team for five years. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, Richie, is this line four? All right, excellent. 
Uh, let's now welcome to the uh, Rick Emerson program uh, from the Clinton Street Cabaret, if I'm getting that right. Because I'm, I'm merging the three things in my head. There's the Rocky Horror Picture Show, there's the Clinton Street Theater, and then there is the Clinton Street Cabaret, who are the live performers for the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Clinton Street Theater. Scott, am I anywhere near correct with that? Yeah, actually, that's just about spot on, actually. Fantastic. All right. So I actually, uh, for uh, uh, something else that I was actually talking to a guy named Lawrence from the Clinton Street Cabaret uh, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, and so... We'll, we'll back up and then we'll work our way back to this point here in a second. Is it true that the Clinton Street Theater is the longest-running continuous showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show in the country? Well, there's some debates. There's some debates uh, going on about it. Uh, it it's a long-running thing. Uh, I, I want to say there's a place in Michigan that's claiming longest-running, but uh, it, it's the basis of the word continual. Uh, we've shown it every weekend except for like you know horrible bad weather where nobody can you know. People can get out to the theater at all. Now I have. Uh, she's not here at the moment, actually. But uh, my, my producer Sarah Dillon is a huge fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show. She's seen the movie a billion times. Uh, she knows the song. She loves Tim Curry. She's got, I think, like a lot of women. Uh, she's got this whole thing for Tim Curry when he's dressed up. You know, when he's in drag. And yet she's never been to see it live. And I keep telling her, I'm like, you're a bad American. If you haven't seen the Rocky Horror Picture Show live, and I mean, really, there's no better time to do it than on Halloween. Um, True. you know, you're just, you're just missing out. She's like, I don't know. I'm just really busy, and I just don't. I don't know. Why does that keep happening? Okay. My computer screen here. There's a lot of sound just coming out of nowhere today. Um, what was I saying? Next, I'm going to look in the mirror, and my face is going to start peeling off. What was my point? Rocky Horror Picture Show. So she's never gone to see it live, and I'm like, you know, you gotta go see it. And Halloween, you got. I mean, how many people come out to the the Clinton Street Theater for the Halloween Rocky Horror Picture Show? Halloween show is almost continually sold out. I mean, it's I mean, it's just yeah, it's got to be packed, just like off the charts. So, what do you do? What do you do in the cabaret? Oh, me myself, actually, I, I took this term to kind of step back a little bit. I'm just running a webmaster stuff for them, but I've been around uh, and with the cast for off and on ten years. And so, when it's the cabaret, this is uh, because the last time I went to see the, uh, any live Rocky Horror Picture Show thing, I was about eight years old, and my sister took me. And I don't think she even told my mom where we were going. I think she said well, we're going to the mall or whatever, or she might have just said we're going to a movie. Uh, and then, you know, then the next thing I know, it was just like in this theater just filled with, you know, lunatics. And I mean that in the best possible way. So for people who haven't seen um, sort of this live, in-the-flesh accompaniment of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, please to now uh, describe. Um, well, it's uh, a completely different experience than something you might see watching uh, the VH1's greatest hits rerun of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, the movie in itself is horribly, horribly tacky. We all know it. We all love it because of that. Um and the whole point of going and seeing it live in the theater is to see your cast up performing and to get involved with the show. It's to put all your taboos to the side for the evening and just have a good time. You know, you scream, you throw props, um, there's people running around, you dance the time warp, all that kind of good stuff. Excellent. Uh, and so this is, is this going to be like one of those Catholic midnight mass things where they've started doing it at 10 p.m.? When does this actually, is it actually a midnight screening tomorrow? Um, there's actually a, there's a couple of shows going on. Um, tomorrow night there is a show going on um, from uh, the other cast that uh, performs at the theater on our off night. All right. Um, called the Dental Winklets, and I believe they're doing like an 8 p.m. show or something. Or I think maybe it was 8:30. Um, and then we are actually going on at midnight. And then you are uh, you guys have got a website, right? The Clinton Street Cabaret's got a website. Yes, RockyPDX.org. RockyPDX.org. Uh, two final questions. One, uh, what is your favorite song from the Rocky Horror Picture Show? My favorite song is actually probably Hot Patootie, uh, the uh, 
song that uh, Eddie uh, Meatloaf uh, sings. All right, and our final question today, would you say you are a larger fan of Firefly, Buffy, or Monty Python? Can I take uh, choice D, all of the above? Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Scott, from the Clinton Street Cabaret. It's RockyPDX.com. Uh, all right. Have a successful show tomorrow, sir. Thank right. you. .org. All right. Thank you so much. And we're going to be out there, by the way, AM 970. We'll have uh, a little bit of a presence there. I've seen that on numerous occasions. I used to clean up at, at the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, so you hate them. Yeah. You're just filled with I can see the white-hot loathing. Riding home on the bus alone at one in the morning <laughs> through Los Angeles, covered in rice and toast leavings. Excellent. Oh. Uh, so uh, that is uh, tomorrow at the Clinton Street Theater. And by the way, if you're not that just like shiny, it. a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity. In case you're wondering, here's Tim Riley. So a Portland barber has lost his leg in an accident, but an alleged drunk driver hit him. Now, this guy was arrested for DUI before. We already talked about this guy once, but he, apparently he's caused all kinds of damage to all kinds of people and wrecked their lives. Robert Schlick was riding his Harley motorcycle to work at his downtown barbershop Monday morning when his life intersected with Paul Conklin, who police said was driving drunk and veered into the oncoming lane. So Schlick laid down his bike to avoid hitting Conklin head-on on Shoalsbury Road. The impact shattered his leg, happened not fast, the crash cost Schlick his left leg and may cost 22-year-old Conklin five years or more in prison. So uh, The toxicology uh, tests prove what police suspect, that Conklin was drinking and driving, and it's not the first time. In 2007, he was arrested for the same offense. Court records indicated he pleaded no contest, underwent alcohol treatment, even listened to victims discuss the impact of DUI on their lives. Now, at this point, Conklin has been charged with any crimes, and authorities in Washington... Uh, County Sheriff's Office, his case will go to a grand jury. Now, is this, when you say he had to listen, is this one of those things where he goes to court and, you know, they have the family members get up and mm-hmm. talk about the... T- but, you know, you said he's been convicted of this before. Mm-hmm. Well, then those guys, it never works for those guys. No. I mean, really, I mean, it, I'm just saying, there's certain people that just choose to live their lives in an irresponsible fashion. Hey, because it is Halloween tomorrow, who wants to hear something creepy? Oh, I do. I want to be afraid. Uh, so I'm not trying to make light of this accident, but I will say uh, that I have a, sort of a creepy, great... Uh, Careful! I was going to say a creepy, great drunk driving story. Um, it, it's not really about that. It's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a creepy, great story about the criminal justice system. And to be fair, this is actually not even my story. This is a Joni DeRoshi story. Uh, this is a, a good friend of hers had this happen. So, friend of hers um, got busted for drunk driving, and I think it was his first offense or whatever. But it was one of those, you know, like no nonsense judges, uh, you know, rightfully so. He's like, you know, f this, like you're going to learn your lesson, you bastard. And so he had to, like, uh, you know, community service, and he, I, he got, you know, lost his license for six months, and he had to pay a big fine and whatever. But the other thing he had to do, this is the other part of the guy's drunk driving punishment. The guy had to go down to uh, the city coroner's office, to the city morgue, and he had to do the thing where you go through and they show you the bodies of people who've been killed by drunk drivers. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of see, you know, it's like you do in high school, where they they show you that, like, the pavement went red film or whatever. Um and so he, had, the sentence was all of this other stuff, and then go to the morgue and look at the bodies of these poor folks that have been killed by drunk drivers. Here's the great cre- creepy twist, though, that he had to do it sometime within. He had a 30-day window. They're like, look, right. you, you got to go down sometime within the next month and look at a drunk driving victim. And he said the thing that just messed him up, the thing that effed with his head, was the idea that there was like some people and probably several somebodies. Walking around still alive, who had no idea they were going to be the exhibit he went to look at, went to look at later that month. 
Because, you know, he's like, they gave oh, me a month true. to do it, and they don't keep those bodies for more than a few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get them in, you autopsy them, you wad them full of cotton, and you shove them out. So he said that he, for the next couple of weeks, he was walking around, and every time he would see somebody in a car, every time he'd see somebody on the sidewalk, he's like, you know, one of these people doesn't know it, but they're, they're going to be dead, and they're going to be on a slab with me looking at him, and they're going to be my object lesson. Jesus. And he said that that thought alone almost made him go home and drink, which is... Probably not the effect they intended. So there you go. There's a creepy little thing for Halloween. Let's do uh, one more story, one more call, then we'll take a break and get caught up. Well, a Kentucky man is accused of trading drugs for sex. You see, he's 82 years old. This fellow is charged with trafficking and controlled substance. He's been released on bond. The Lexington Herald-Ledger in Kentucky reported that police said they were initially concerned that women in their 20s often seen at the man's home were taking advantage of him. Police began their investigation after the man called the department several times, reportedly uh, missing his medication, household items, and a television. But officers soon discovered he gave two women the prescription drug OxyContin in exchange for sex. The uh, old conjurer's attorney said a possession of a controlled substance charge was dismissed against the old fellow because he had uh, prescriptions for the drugs. This alert declines for the comment. Uh, let's see, Rick. About the happening. Thanks for opening your big mouth about the happening. I wanted to watch it, and I didn't know about the plant thing. You suck. Really? I'm the one who sucks? You were actually you were creating future plans around the movie The Happening, and I'm the one who uh, who sucks. I don't think so. You get blamed for everything. You know, it, look, I'm, I'm fine with spoiling that movie. It is. Uh, I will say this. I watched, and I am that guy right now, judging the book, not necessarily by its cover, but by its cover, and maybe the first, oh, I don't know, 40 pages. I watched about 35 minutes of that film. And I said, you know what, I, I can't watch the rest of this because I could feel it just smoothing out my brain as I viewed it. And then there's that sequence where Mark, Wal- Mark Wahlberg is sitting there apologizing to a plant. He's sitting there like in a doctor's office waiting room talking to a plant going, I'm so sorry. And he's petting the plant. And it's, you realize at that point somebody just needed a paycheck. When was the last time that a good horror film actually was released anyway? That's a good question, Kristen Bowie. Um, you, you, mean a, you mean a new one in theaters? Are we talking American films or an imported horror film? Because that's almost two different things. Definitely. Uh, because, you know, the other countries seem to be doing that right. I mean, even like The Others with Nicole Kidman, which is great, was not from here. It was an English film. Uh, there was also that movie, The... Um, the hell was that movie? The Signal? The hell was that uh, movie that came out about six months ago? It was like a three... It was a three-part... I was going to say three-part trilogy. Uh, but it was it was a trilogy of stories all based around some weird television signal. Anyway, that was good. But again, that wasn't even from here. I think that was from Australia. Have something. you seen the Korean film Audition? No. Oh, no, I don't know what that to. is. Oh, it's the best thriller That's not ever. the one about the sea creature, is it? No, 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 no. No. Oh. It's about this crazy girl. I can't remember the last good American horror film that I mm-hmm. saw in the theater. No, I got nothing. Well, somebody will tell us. Uh, Rick, this email says, I am such a dork. Aragon is the dragon book written by teenager Chris Paolini. Aragorn is the dude in Lord of the Rings. Aragog is the great big spider in the Harry Potter film. Okay, good. I was worried I got that right. Were you correct? Yes. Good for you. Let's do uh, one call. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Dorothy Carcassari, Tim Riley, top five, blah, 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 blah. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, okay, it's me. Oh, I'm so excited. It is you. Okay. Is it um, everything you dreamt it would be? Oh my! It well, I don't know yet. I'm all nervous now. I'm just saying, no pressure. Okay, I is just want to tell you, I never have liked any talk radio show until I heard your show. My oh. husband turned me on to you. Oh well, thank you so much. Yeah, but um, you were talking about the peanut allergy thing. Yes. So do you want to hear a theory? Um, 
that I have heard from a Yale PhD immunologist about where the peanut allergies came from. You bet your sweet bippy I do. Okay, okay. So what happens is, now I'm just going to preface it by saying I'm not like a totally anti-vaccine person because this is all connected to vaccines here. Um, but anyway, so basically from an immunological standpoint, when you eat something, you create what's called oral tolerance to it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, your body does that because otherwise you'd, as soon as you would eat, you'd die basically because you'd have an allergy to everything that you ever put in your body. So now they use peanut proteins as preservatives in, in some of the vaccines. So when you take a baby and you inject a peanut protein, you react to it totally differently than you ever would if you ever ate it. You know, it's conversations like this that make me realize how vastly dumb I really am. <laughs> Now, the other, um, the other allergy that is up, too, is egg white. And egg white is the other, another uh, protein that they use in the vaccines, too. Now, is this, uh, so now is this like a, a thing that, you, that like a guy told you, or the, do, you believe that it, do you believe it to be true? Because I don't know. Well, um, I, you know what? I've never heard a better theory for it. And I know that, like, they tell women who are pregnant or who are breastfeeding, don't eat peanuts because it could make an allergy in oh, your baby. Oh, you know, and you know, the other thing, kids aren't, here's a weird thing. You know, I was just thinking about this actually um, a couple days ago for some reason. You know, babies aren't supposed to have honey. I guess right. if you give your kid, if you have a baby, until it's like, I think, a year old, if you have like a, like a, like a newborn baby, you get honey, uh, yeah. that causes some weirdness because it's yeah, full but, of yeah, uh, that's, something that's or other. that's for, like, botulism, though. Uh, it's all very weird. You know, the world is just, like, can we just say this? The world is full of any number of things that at every given moment are trying to kill us. I think if you could somehow, I don't know, have some, uh, if you could somehow get a sense, if at any given point God were to appear, take you up and let you have a top-down, third-person view of the world, and let you see at any given moment all of the things that are actively trying to harm you, you'd probably never leave the house again. You'd probably just lock yourself in a small metal crate and stay there for the rest of your life. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So, all right, excellent. Well, it certainly is plausible. You know what? For the next 12 minutes, Dana, I'm going to choose to believe that it's true. Okay. All right, well, that is going to be that's going to be my preferred belief system for the next, I would say, quarter hey, hour or so. If you find a better theory or better explanation, then, you know, it's the all only right. thing that makes sense to me. All right, having finished your call, how do you feel about it on the classic 1 to 10 scale? Uh, on my call? Yeah. How do you feel it went? Um, you know, I feel like a 10 just because I actually, you know, got to talk to you guys. It's great. Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. Yeah. If you had this call to do over again, is there anything you'd change about it? Anything you regret about the way this call went? Oh, um, not off the top of my head. You know, maybe if I think something, I'll call back, you know? <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You call us anytime. Okay. Have hey, a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. There you go. Jesus. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, when we return, we'll have Dorothy Cossessari from the National Enquirer, and then, yes... More news from Tim Riley. Even in the manner only he can deliver it. Uh, let's see. What else? Then we got the top five coming up. Uh, we will have Steve Kastenbaum joining us Philadelphia. Uh, we'll get to the top five and uh, all that. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Tim, somebody's saying we have a squeaky door in here. No. no I don't hear that. I Kristen, don't hear that. Squeaky door? I don't hear it. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Michael, I'm afraid you're just crazy. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 coming up. Uh, we'll do the uh, top five rock songs from a horror film. Uh, next hour, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum and more, uh, plus an exit poll. We'll try to do, we might actually even do two of those today. We're getting pretty close to Tuesday. Uh, so we'll do at least one exit poll today 
Maybe two. Uh, plus uh, more of your uh, phone calls and so forth. Oh, is this, are we waiting? Uh, is she going to be calling in? Okay, so in just a moment, we'll be talking to Dorothy Cassisari, the National Enquirer. Here's Tim Riley. The convicted felon suspected in the slayings of Jennifer Hunston's mother and nephew told police he is innocent and balked at taking a lie detector test. William Balfour is 27 years old. He's the stepfather of Hudson's nephew and the strange husband of her sister. Told detectives he had a good relationship with the Hudson family. Uh, speaking on condition, uh, well, apparently he is not authorizing any lie detector test. He's been the center of the investigation since shortly after the bodies of Hudson's mother, 57-year-old Darnell Donaldson, and brother, 29-year-old Jason Hudson, were found Friday inside the Chicago Southside home. The body of Balfour's stepson, 7-year-old Julian King, was discovered Monday in an SUV on the city's west side. All three have been shot. All right, let's, uh, well, let's move from that to this. Coming up then, more news, more phone calls, top five, etc. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From America's finest newspaper, the National Enquirer, our good friend Dorothy Carcassari. Hey there. Hi there. Ho there. How you doing? Hi. Good. How are you? I am fantabulous is how I am. Um, so, uh, well, a couple things. First of all, I'm just going to go with what's, uh, I, I believe this is actually one of your cover stories, the new issue of the Enquirer, which comes out uh, tomorrow. I hate to, to sound flip about this, but the, the somebody had emailed us about three weeks ago, and they said, in effect, when this whole thing about Patrick Swayze's illness and his cancer came out, I think even then they were saying, like, the doctors give Patrick Swayze four weeks to live. And I think that was like eight months ago. So the question is, was it, was it, did it just, were they making it sound worse than it was? Or, or is, you know, how is he doing or has he recovered? I mean, what is, what is up with Patrick Swayze? Well, you know, Patrick Swayze is still working, and he said that he will never give up on his cancer battle, um, but certainly he's grown weaker as the cancer has kind of taken over. Uh, it's always hard giving estimates about how long someone has to live because you never know how their body will respond to treatments and that sort of thing. Nice. So, um, so, yeah, and he's still working. He's filming the first season of his TV series, The Beast, uh, but certainly his breathing is often labored, and he's having trouble with his medication, and he's certainly, you know, experiencing symptoms. Well, I mean, you know, I, I got to hand it to guys like that, though. I always, It is always really great when you see a guy that absolutely, you know, he's been diagnosed with something bad or fatal or terminal and just refuses, just digs in the heels and refuses to go quietly. As Dennis Leary once said, uh, you know, when the Grim Reaper comes for you, you know, you punch him in the face every single step of the way. I mean, make, make him work for it. So that's what Patrick Swayze is doing for sure. Uh, so what else is uh, what else is uh, is in the new issue of the uh, National Enquirer, Dorothy? Well, uh, we have a lot of great stories this week. I don't know if you've seen these steamy photos of Justin Timberlake and Rihanna. No, uh, there's a not? photo of him kind of lying on the hood of a of a convertible with his hands behind his head and her straddling him. Uh, these are photos from her new music video for her song, Rehab. They were taken in the California desert. And Jessica Biel, understandably so, you know, who is Justin's girlfriend, is furious over these photos. Uh, the two have, you know, been talking about getting engaged and that sort of thing, but her jealousy is really taking over in the relationship. You know, doesn't it seem like if you were going to be dating Justin Timberlake, you would just sort of know that that goes with the territory? I mean, it's, you know, it's. I remember when Heather Locklear, when she was uh, splitting up with uh, Tommy Lee, and then she was putting in the sort of divorce papers, and I can't believe he was unfaithful to me. <laughs> I mean, and I think the assembled 280 million Americans were looking, going, he's the drummer for Motley Crue. Why don't you just, uh, why don't we face a little bit of reality here? 
So well, I would have, that, you know, Yeah, that's true. So I would imagine that just goes with the territory when one is dating either Jessica Biel or, or, or Justin Timberlake, frankly. So what do I know? Um, and let's see, what else is, uh, what else is happening in the world of a celebrity and scandal and gossip? Well, uh, you know, Zach Efron and Vanessa Hudgens have been hot and heavy. They're co-stars. They're each other's love of each other's life. And Vanessa just bought a $2.75 million Tuscan-style villa in Studio City, California, uh, which she's planning to turn into a love nest for her and Zach. Now, he has his own home, but her plan is, you know, to be able to have a place where they can have some quiet time together, that sort of thing. But it turns out that her mom, Gina, is barging in unannounced into the home. She's cooking huge meals on a whim, often wrecking Zach's plans to make romantic dinners for Vanessa, and she's just basically taking over. Well, see, this is the sort of story that makes me, I mean, it, it is satisfying to read, though, because then you realize it really doesn't matter how attractive you are, how famous you are, how much money you have. There's always like a mother-in-law somewhere that's just going to make a, you know, make, make like a, a life a living hell for you. Absolutely. And that's exactly what she's doing for them. Excellent. Well, see, so you know, I feel a bit better about my life now. <laughs> All right. Excellent. As always, thank you for spending uh, some time with us. The new issue of the National Enquirer hit stands tomorrow. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, okay. Dorothy. Thanks, guys. All right. Again, Dorothy Cartesari of the National Enquirer. Is Glenn Danzig playing at the Hawthorne Theater on Saturday? Is it possible that Danzig is playing in a room that holds about nine people? Somebody just sent this to me. Well, that would make sense, actually, because I guess he was on with Marconi yesterday. And I guess that went poorly. So, all right, I had no idea it was, was the Hawthorne Theater. Was he unprepared? Theater. Well, I guess, I, I don't know, I, almost, I don't want to, I, I guess they aired the interview. I don't want to, how do I put this? I didn't get a chance to hear it, so I don't know how much they played. But I, I, the the indications were that it might have been uh, not the smoothest interview, maybe not as, uh, I don't know, perhaps not as even-keeled as it might ideally have been. I don't know. I'll look into it. Here's Tim Riley. Joaquin Phoenix shocks America by announcing his retirement. He just turned 34 years old today. He's announcing he's retiring from acting. He's a two-time Oscar nominee. And he stated this on the red carpet to benefit the Association of the Hole-in-the-Wall Camps, founded by Paul Newman. You may remember him as Johnny Cash in the 2005 motion picture, Walk the Line. He was good in that one, too. So I guess he is Sun Hollywood. But I guess nobody cares. A uh, family still mourning a six-year-old boy killed last year was shocked to see a picture of the child used in a recent soap opera. The ABC television network has apologized causing the bizarre soap opera slip-in an error. They don't see what soap opera this is, but they did that. Well, Meat- because, isn't it, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, oh, I, was, I was going on to the next uh, thing, which is Meatloaf is apparently struggling with his health. All right, so i got two things to say. One, uh, about the Joaquin Phoenix thing. It, it's, here's the thing. It's not so much that I don't care. Well, it is that I don't care. But it's, it's, Nobody it's, cares. But it's shot, through, it's shot through a specific kind of prison. Prison. The reason I don't care about Joaquin Phoenix saying he's retiring is because, obviously, it's not. I mean, no one believes that from anybody now. I mean, the Eagles have kind of ruined that for everyone. Uh, those claims are just never believed. They never carry any, you know, they never hold, you know, they hold any water at all. But also, Joaquin Phoenix, first of all, just seems like just such an ass. I'm not trying to impugn his acting ability. He's a fine thespian and all that, but he just seems like a jackass. Let's see if it says that. I've never... Joaquin Phoenix is a jackass. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, known to everyone as a dick, said today that he will be... But, I mean... It, so he's one of those guys that like always oh, wants, you know, like what he's suffering for his art. And he really sometimes, you know, it's like you're getting into the role and it takes you to a really dark place. And you just, uh, 
you know, and it really is, uh, you know, it's a real challenge sometimes when you really have to embrace, you know, those things that maybe you try to avoid and, you know, and then you ask yourself, well, if I'm really going to go all the way from my craft as an actor, like, where am I going to come out of this tunnel and, you know, and, uh, it really causes you. It's a lot of self-examination when you, and, you know. And there's some guy sitting at a home who carries around pieces of, of, of concrete for a living, you know, who feels no. As Dean Martin once said, you know, acting isn't hard. Anybody who thinks acting is hard has never had to deal blackjack for 12 hours at a stretch. So anyway, and, and also because, and I think we, I think Sarah and I might have made this point yesterday. If you're going to retire, fine. You don't need to announce it. You're not going to be doing anything. You know what? Just do it. I spend whole days not doing anything. I don't call a press conference about it. Hey, this just in. Rick Emerson's going to be sitting on his big fat American ass today and scratching his nose. Doesn't need to be announced. You want to keep to yourself? Go keep to yourself. We don't need to be told about everything you do. All right. Here's Tim Riley. And that happened a few months ago. Well, back after the old series of programs, we all sat around for several months. That's right. There was no announcement made at all. <laughs> that was just the last show we did for a year. Somebody just turned on the radio and they're playing some crazy oh, song. Jesus. By the way, Dan thinks at the Roseland. The Roseland. Okay, yeah. that makes that makes more sense. I uh, it would have been. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Hawthorne, the Hawthorne Theater is a great place. Seen a bunch of cool shows there. It doesn't really seem like a place that Danzig would be playing. I mean, even at this late stage in his career. Ted Danzig? No. There really ought to be. There ought to be like a Ted Danzig though. Right. But it'd be like half Becker, half Devil Luck. All right, here's Tim Riley. Oh, did I finish his meatloaf story? Apparently he's still struggling with his health. A post on the Classic Rockers website says he's ill and consequently won't be performing in Phoenix as originally planned. Mm -hmm. Earlier this month, he said he was suffering from vertigo and checked himself into a London hospital. He spent several days undergoing tests. When meatloaf was released, his publicist wouldn't reveal details on his condition. Two weeks ago, Meatloaf was back on stage performing shows in Clearwater and Pompano Beach, Florida. Here's the thing about going to see Meatloaf. I remember uh, there used to be this show uh, on KCMD Portland. There used to be the show that they syndicated to radio stations. I don't know if they do anywhere. It was called In Concert. And there was, I don't know that a lot of these shows exist. I think some of this long-form radio programming for music stations has just, I think it's just gone the way of the dodo. I think it's just vanished. Because um, we've had that whole discussion about the top 40 countdowns. Did you say that Ryan Seacrest is now doing Casey Kasem's top 40 countdown? He must be. They give him everything. I mean, we just sort of, is that the default position? It is. Whatever happened that Ryan Seacrest is doing it? There's no one else available. So there was Casey Kasem's top 40 countdown, but then there was, because I used to have to run this, there was the Shadow Stevens top 40 I countdown. Him, yeah. Where's Shadow Stevens right now? Is he doing anything? Is he, I, I don't think a, so. still a DJ of some kind? There are several Shadow Stevenses. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Is that like how there's several, um, there were several Scott Shannons? Mm-hmm. I've worked with three different Scott Shannons, by the way. Neither, none of them were the Scott Shannon from KQLZ in L.A. Mm-hmm. or from Mojo Radio. Scott Shannon is one of those names that you would think of. Scott Shannon is like Scott Valentine. I can't even tell you how many guys named Scott Valentine I've worked with over the years. I've worked with tons of Chuck Morgans. Chuck Morgan. I've worked with uh, at least two Dan O'Briens in radio. Um, you know, you know, you know, you and I could do to make some money, Tim. What's you that? and I, you know, that you get those companies where it's like, um, oh, by the way, uh, Christy, can we, uh, can we kind of go over the top here? Can we sweep the top and just pick this? Uh, you know, in other words, fold this break into the next one. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? All yeah. right, let's just do that. That's fine. Um, what was I saying? Ba, 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 ba. You know, we could be like one of those companies that comes up with names for products. Cause like that company that came up with Pentium or whatever. Mm-hmm. They got paid a million and a half dollars. There's some guy sitting around the table thinking of names. Or the people who came up with AirTouch. I yes. think before it just became Verizon or whatever. 
you and I ought to start some sort of radio consulting service where we just help you pick a DJ name that isn't retarded. You know what I mean? So everybody doesn't end up being like Tim St. Tim or whatever. Uh, we just sit around, we'll come up with some better radio name for you. I think that's a thing at which we could excel. Anyway, so there was the Casey Kasem Top 40, and then there was the Shadow Stevens Top 40, where he always ended it rather creepily by saying, this is your best friend, the Shadow. Uh, Shadow, in this case, being spelled S-H-A-D-O-E. Uh, let's see what else. Then there was the... What other long form? We didn't run the... This one long form. We ran Jeff Craig's 60-second preview, which was like a, mu a movie review thing that was basically just an excuse to have like a Snickers commercial that came on a vinyl record. What was my point here? I don't know, but it's interesting. Well, that's interesting to us, Tim, and that's what counts. That How is. did I get into this discussion of Casey Kasem in the top 40? We're talking about Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Oh, yeah. So there used to be this uh, this long-form show called In Concert. I remember that. And In Concert was actually syndicated by Westwood One, who is the, the company that provides uh, some of our fine talk programming here. Mm -hmm. And you would get two CDs, and it was, uh, I don't know, with commercials. You know, it was two hours with that, you know, but it was, you know, about 75 minutes. And every now and again, they would do a Meatloaf In Concert. And the hilarious thing about a Meatloaf In Concert show is that there's only ever three songs. I mean, because the songs are all 14 minutes long each. So, you know, you play one song commercial, another song commercial, third song, done, and that was it. So, I mean, it's, uh, and it really does, there does come a point when you're Meatloaf where you're just, uh, you're just going to have to farm that singing out to somebody else, friend. It's just not happening. All right, are you going to prepare more news, Tim? I have to, yes. It has to be done. All right, well, in that event, uh, Kristen, uh, not to throw a, a fly back into the ointment and a monkey back into the wrench, we will, in fact, break here. We will come back. Around the corner, we have Steve Kastenbaum. Then we'll have the uh, top five. We'll do an exit poll for today. And uh, we'll do at least one of these uh, Halloween-oriented uh, lists that we got right here to my right. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program on AM 970. Go nowhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. In just a moment, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Still to come today, exit poll. Top five horror songs from a film and uh, so top five songs from a horror film. I'm doing that thing today. I'm doing that Joe Biden thing where I keep transposing words and sentences. I've either had too much caffeine or not quite enough caffeine. And now I'm just oh, that precarious balance. Sometimes you lose track, and normally I'm very, uh, you know... You know, very sort of spreadsheet oriented about this, where I got the, uh, you know, where I got the, in my head one column is the amount of caffeine, the other column is the, you know, the time of day. I mean, then you lose track, and then you're not quite sure what to do. And then here's the thing: if you're me, and really I hope for your sake you are not, that when I lose track and I'm not quite sure if I've had too much caffeine or not enough, I always just err on the side of drinking more coffee, mm -hmm. and then it's never, and then I always realize that I was wrong. Like, I always choose poorly, and then I just end up snapping at everybody and walking around, thing. grinding my teeth like I'm on a meth Or you're jam. sitting there in a room alone, twitching. Seriously. Rick, what? Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Philadelphia, PA. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, who is, I would imagine, now enjoying his life at least incrementally more. Hello, sir. Uh, I got out of Philly already. Okay, where, where are you at now? I made it back to New York this afternoon. Uh, you're back to civilization. Just a short while ago, yes. Uh, I, I I have been given uh, my citizenship papers back for New York City, and I am and I'm here. I, I made it through the border crossing fine. 
<laughs> is this one of those things where, I mean, now has it become a place that is just so filled with terrible memories for you that if they ever try to send you there again, you're just going to have the fake malaria or something? You know, I was actually just watching uh, on CNN.com uh, uh, a hit that I did with the live stream that they do, mm-hmm. and I was watching the Philly fans celebrating, and I realized, you know, you know, they're they're very much in a bubble right now in Philadelphia. You know, the the rest of the country is engrossed in the election and the economy slash stock market story. And in Philadelphia, they could care less about that right now. Well, I think, you know, you and I were actually making this uh, observation the other day that it is, or maybe I was just saying that I thought if you went out on the street and you polled 100 people and you said, look, what do you care about right now? Do you care about the election or do you care about the World Series? Like, which one is more important? And 90% of the people are going to say the election. The, uh, I think baseball is just... You know, it just doesn't have the appeal it once did, and it has the bad—it has the bad luck of it just sort of coinciding with this whole insane election cycle. But to me, the fact that again, you have you know Philadelphia where they really care about it, the rest of the country where you know, they probably don't, and then that it just took a, just this tedious eternity to finish it, it became such a comedy of errors that that then became the story to me. It, it was the most bizarre World Series ever, yeah. without a doubt. But yeah. they finally won. So this is what? This is like the second time in a century or something they've, they've won? Yeah, the only other time the uh, Phillies won was in 1980. And they've been around. They're one of the oldest teams in the league. So uh, this is only their second World Series. You know, usually uh, teams that have been around that long, uh, well, let's not talk about the Cubs, but teams that have been around that long, you know, have a couple of World Series under their belt. So, uh, you know, the fans... I mean, grown men were crying last night, Rick. This is what's going on in Philadelphia. Well, you know, I, uh, like I said, knowing some Philadelphia dudes as I do, there's only certain things they're allowed to cry for. You know, they can cry for this or they can cry when their favorite character on The Sopranos gets whacked, and that's about it. <laughs> other, right. than that, other than that, it's just a lot of like stifling the tears, drinking beer, and like punching other guys in the face random, you know, yeah. randomly. So, and well, way to go, Philly, and they'll be celebrating with a parade tomorrow. Uh, there are going to be a lot of kids playing hooky because uh, they are not giving kids the day off for the parade or even a half a day. So uh, I, I would suspect that most of the uh, classrooms are going to be empty tomorrow. Well, look, let's be honest. What are you really learning in a Philadelphia public school anyway? I mean, come on. Let's, <laughs> I've just... seen the figures, not much. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, hey, here's a question. Cause sort of looking ahead the next week, uh, what? I mean, are you on the clock election night? Or are you just going to stay at home and revel in the, re- in the returns? What are you doing on election night? I'm part of our election night coverage. I'll be in New York in the Bureau, and we have a, a full-on team coverage. We've got folks in D.C. We've got folks in, uh, in Chicago and Arizona, and uh, I'll be pulling in the resources of the best political team on television because uh, they're, they're going to be doing their broadcast from New York. And so we'll be pulling them into the, uh, to the, to the radio studio, and I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, the race for 60. You know about that in yeah. the Senate, I, I believe. Yeah. We're, yeah, so I'll be keeping an eye on that and uh, possibly also um, accusations of uh, problems at the polls on Tuesday. Well, there, because there already does seem to be the groundwork being laid for that. I mean, I mentioned this earlier in the program that my wife now is already, I mean, I think it was like two weeks ago she started getting these. My uh well, she's not listening. My nutcase mother-in-law is already sending my wife a lot of those emails, and you know they're bad news because it says forward, and then there's like a thousand forwards, and then like the little the little greater than sign or whatever it is, you know. So you so you know it's something that originated like 500 people back that is just right. being mindlessly regurgitated by one person to another, and liberals are equally guilty of this. But this was from her mother-in-law, and it was a whole lot of like how Obama's trying to steal the election in Ohio and whatever. So there's. Oof. Roop, yeah, Roop flat out says no. that he doesn't think we're going to get it solved until Wednesday morning. He thinks it's going to be Wednesday morning before somebody officially concedes. 
Is that what Jim was saying? He's, he's, you know, he just says that based on his read of the country and the electorate and how things have been going so far, extrapolating out, he does believe that it's going to be so chaotic and undecided that we won't really know until Wednesday. Oof. So, man. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, he may be right. I mean, it, it, you know, they haven't uh, told the people on the political desk that, uh, you know, the ones that were hired just for the election that, uh, you know, come the 5th, you're gone. Right. They're still right. working. So... Maybe you're right. Maybe they expect this to go on a little bit longer. Well, I will tell you that on election night, we will be carrying CNN Radio's long-form coverage, sir. So you will be uh, you will be speaking to the assembled throngs in Portland, Oregon. Nice, nice. What uh, are you doing election night? Uh, well, we're actually going to be part of that. We are. Uh, I'm glad you asked, Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, on this very fine radio station, we're going to be running CNN's coverage, and then we will be. Uh, Sort of combined with that, there will be a confluence of through the uh, you guys, and then we're actually going to be doing some live reporting of our own from a, uh, a venue here, a place called uh, Grand Central Bowl, which is this really sort of plushly appointed kind of bowling alley, lounge, restaurant oh, cool. thing. It's, it's, it's a really fantastic place. And so Tim Riley, our news director, is going to be doing live updates. We're going to have some local political figures he's going to interview. We're going to be given uh, local results, and I think probably doing some live shots. With you guys, I think you're going to have some of the CNN correspondents talking with us, and then I know Tim at least a couple times during the night is going to go on CNN radio and give results from the Pacific Northwest. So it's uh, oh cool. It's, uh, hey, um, uh, you'll have to let me know if my friend uh, Jules Coleman Bailey uh, work uh, wins that uh, that um, statewide office. That uh, I think uh, I think Sarah lives in his in the district yeah. that he's running. For. And you will you will be among the first to know. By the way, you'll be happy to know that at least one person has voted for me for sheriff. So. <laughs> Yeah, so just in case. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I do. All right, Steve, enjoy your day. We will talk to you soon, brother. Speak to you uh, soon, yeah. Right, Take care. Go. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do these calls, then the exit poll, then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello there. Hi there, Rick. How's it going? What's up? Oh, not so much. This is womb stretcher here. I believe we've spoken before. Of course it is. Yeah, and uh, I had some business to discuss about your opinions on nuts, which I mostly <laughs> agree with. But that uh, there was some skirt that called in a little while back, and she was like, oh, the protein's in the inoculations and making every – maybe they should stop making them that way, huh? Medicine people, you know, they always think they know what's best. But All let right me then. tell you. Yes. And also about that thing of Patrick Swayze, I was surprised as you were that he made it out of that alive, the cancer thing. I went out anticipating his death and bought 75 copies of Roadhouse on the assumption that they would appreciate in value, and they have not. And that is truly disappointing. You know, there are really very few times in this program when I'm not entirely sure how to respond to something. This is now one of those times. Let's end it with some shameless whoring. If someone wanted to find out more about the glory that is womb stretcher, how well, would they do that? They can do that one of two ways. And the first of those ways is happening this evening at 9 p.m. at the town lounge, which is that uh, weird Masonic temple-looking building between that yuppie Mexican restaurant and PGE Park. Uh-huh. Or they can go to wombstretcher.com. Excellent. That is a stretcher with an A. That's correct. All right. You're doing the Lord's work, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. All right, there you go. By the way, this is completely true. Uh, this is just uh, an interesting. This is how the universe works. I haven't had it on for quite some time, but last night while lounging around uh, my palatial estate and watching the CNN coverage, I was, in fact, wearing my womb stretcher, the Magnificent shirt, which on the front just has a big uh, soundproof van because uh, my wife won't let me wear the shirt anywhere else in the house. I can only wear it when I'm at home. I tried one time, even at my father's place, which is just like a place that is just completely sleazified. I tried to wear my woman's stretcher shirt, and I didn't even make it out of the car. She's like, go back in and take off that her, the disgusting shirt right now. I'm not sitting next to somebody with a womb stretcher shirt. You sicken me. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. Uh, 
okay. yeah, on that same uh, Patrick Swayze note, uh, I thought he was going to die, so I dropped all my Marlboro stock. But anyway, I was just calling to yeah. see, ha- have you seen that video of the guy celebrating the Phillies win last night? Up on a street light, getting knocked in the head with a uh, vodka bottle. No, but it sounds like something I'd find very entertaining. It is awesome. Uh, it's on JimRome.com, but I'm sure it's on YouTube, too. But you should check it out. Philly bottle vodka head. Got it. All right. Thanks. Thank you, sir. All right. There you go. All right. Well, on that note, let's do this. It's time for the Rick Emerson exit poll for today. This is uh, Thursday, the what, the 30th? Is that where we are today? All right, Thursday the 30th. We're now uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so five days away, basically, uh, from the election. So if you have voted in this year's presidential election, whether you're here in Oregon or any place else, because I guess Clark County, you're already voting there, uh, Florida, Texas, Ohio, maybe California. Anyway, so we got listeners all over. If you have voted in this year's presidential election, now is the time to tell us how you voted. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 970. 503-733-2970. We will take calls for the Rick Emerson exit poll. Uh, we will sort of tally these up as we go forward. It's 503-733-2970. I think we've got uh, one final call about something else here before we do the Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. How are you? What's up? Hey, I was going to say, you know, there's just as many people are allergic to shellfish as peanuts. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Is this leading up to a pun involving the word shellfish? No, not at all. Oh, yeah, all right. kill all shrimp and lobster. Crap. It's not really a pun. No, not really at oh, all. Okay. All right. By th- the way, Ron Paul is who I voted for. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. There you go. Crazy in the air. This crazy in the air. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama. 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 I'll be your golden boy. Mm-hmm. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Wow. Um, I wrote you in because I couldn't bring myself to vote for Jeff Merkley. You're so the... if you get uh, elected Senate, you can thank Melissa. All right. Done and okay. done. All right. Love you. you. I'm going to give you a cabinet post. All right. We love you, too. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. For whom did you vote? Barack Obama. All right. Got it. Thank you. It's 503-733-2970, the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader. What? And I'm not asking this to be snarky. What party is Ralph Nader running with? The Green Party, the Pacific Party, something of that nature. All right, then. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. A well-informed electorate is the cornerstone of democracy. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. For whom did you vote? Yeah, McCain times three. My wife, myself, and my daughter. All right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. All right. It's 503-733-2970, Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama, sir. Obama. Thank you. All right. 503-733-2970, Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? McCain. McCain, got it. Thank you. We'll do one more bag here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. Uh, for whom did you vote? Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Got it. Thank you. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Rick Emerson Show. For whom did you vote? John McCain. John McCain. Got it. Thank you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. For whom did you vote? McCain. McCain. Got it. All right. A couple more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama. Obama. Got it. Thank you. Uh, it's the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? It's McCain. you. All right. McCain, got it. Thank you. Final vote for today. Hi. Uh, we'll do one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show exit poll. For whom did you vote? Obama. Obama. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Right, there you go. Do another one of those tomorrow. All right. So for today, we got one vote for Ralph Nader, one vote for me, I guess. Uh, six for Obama, five for McCain. That's actually the closest we've had. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Yeah, that's uh, 
Our Republic in action, right there. Uh, our Republic in action. 503-733-2970. We're back with more of your calls around the corner, plus the top five, Tim Riley and Maury. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. The Talker. Now it's right here. It just showed up in my inbox. Orrin Hatch is telling me that I can stop liberal. In fact, he's not even asking me. It's not an interrogative statement. It is, in fact, an imperative statement. Stop the liberals for just $5 a day. Donate. And there's a huge, jolly, candy-like donate button. All right. Boy, That's fantastic. Orrin Hatch just looks more uh, squinched up and unlikable every time I see him. That's what politicians are for. Seriously. Be gone, Orrin Hatch. All right. It's 503-733-2970. By the way, just because that guy called up, uh, voted for Nader, Ralph Nader and his running mate, Matt Gonzalez. Uh, Ralph Nader is running for a party that will never win anything. Ever, ever, ever. How do you know? Because they're called the Peace Party. Not going to work. Try something else. America hates peace. They really do. Uh, And then uh, Cynthia McKinney. Is the Green Party candidate? Now, why do I know the name Cynthia McKinney? Wasn't that the woman who got in trouble for slapping someone in D.C.? I thought so, too, but wasn't she, isn't she from Georgia? That's what I thought. Cynthia McKinney Uh is... Maybe she moved. Oh, well, no, no, no. I guess that does make sense, actually. I just, you know, I'm having a little, that's another, I'm having a brain lock today. This is another one of those things where I'm thinking that, of course, it's the presidency, so it should be from anywhere. I guess I was, uh, in my head, I was thinking state race for a second. But, yeah, she's the presidential candidate, so that makes sense. Yeah, she got in trouble for belting that cop in the mouth. Uh Uh-huh. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, there you go. So Cynthia McKinney, yes, she is, in fact, the, not just the Green Party, she's the Pacific Green Party candidate. I, I realize, oh, the left coast. Yeah, I, I realize now I don't care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, here's Tim Riley. Well, here I am. Guess what? A new study finds that 23% of registered voters in Texas believe that Barack Obama is a Muslim, even though the Democratic candidate has repeatedly explained he is a church-going Christian. The poll is conducted by the Texas Politics Project and the Department of Government at the University of Texas in Austin, showing Obama trailing John McCain by 11 points in the Lone Star State. 45% of those polled accurately described Obama as a Protestant, but the 23% who identified his religion as Islam is about twice as high as typical national polls. Well, it is Texas. On Obama's uh, Faith the Smears website, which the campaign set up to battle hurtful claims, it says Obama is a committed Christian who regularly attends church with his family. More from Texas. A Texas man was jailed after refusing to pay for a second buffet meal after his girlfriend ate a couple of bites out of his plate. Dan Lincoln of Texas City, Texas, was arrested after refusing to pay for the second $7 meal at an Iron Skillet restaurant. According to the reports, there were no signs in the there were no signs in the restaurant that said someone could not have food out of your plate. He was jailed on the charge of theft of services, but released two days after pleading guilty to disorderly conduct. So it's seven thousand. So, but isn't it just just known? Like you can't get a buffet and then everybody to be sharing off your plate. That's right. Just a, look, everybody, let's all just be grown uh, grown men about this, shall we? We know that that's wrong. All right. Well, right now, see, you could be working him into like the next uh, Obama. You know, it's about a man named Dan. Who tried to eat off his wife's plate at the iron skillet. So, or whatever. So, mm-hmm. All right, well, duly noted. 
Uh, Cher is brushing off rumors she canceled the year's last pair of Vegas performances on the account of cancer. The singer says, quite to the contrary, she is in perfect health. She said that the cancellations were in fact caused by Robert allergies. Hill. The allergies made her throat sore, or was it the Botox, and was thus unable to sing. This is like her 20th farewell tour that's been going on without any kind of end. Well, you know, you know how sometimes you'll go see those bands where over time they swap out members, and so then you get to 20 years in, and there is, in fact, no one original from the group? Mm -hmm. Cher is like that, but really just with her own body. I mean, every time you see Cher, there's less and less of the actual Cher there, and it's like some, you know, it's like Alistair Cook's skin or something that she bought and had stapled on. So... I would almost see her. What are the tickets like for that, do you think? I mean, they got to be. Just... Typical Vegas prices. So what do you think? Nothing has to... to be good to be expensive there. Well, cause yesterday I heard it again in the recap that Donnie and Marie thing is $85. And here's the thing. That doesn't surprise me. Well, and as soon as you said Donnie and Marie had that show at the Flamingo, it's mm -hmm. like I can already see forward in my head to the fact that I'm going to go. I mean, there's just no getting around that. Uh, my wife and I will pay to see Donnie and Marie at the Flamingo, but the cheapest seats we're going to be able to get are 85 a throw. So for, I would imagine for share, probably the, probably the lowest ticket price you're going to have for share, I would imagine, is 150 I mean, that's probably, that's, that's, that's the very that. bottom. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and you got to be able to buy them uh, probably months in advance, I think, even to get that. Well, all right. Well, I don't know how this will go, but it's time for the top five. Taking our life in our hands once again, ladies and gentlemen, here's your top five for Thursday. And I really am tempting Faye by trying this again. So, for those who came in late, as they used to say in the Phantom comic strip, so we tried to get to this Wednesday, or Tuesday, ran out of time. Had time yesterday, but then none of the clips would play. Which everybody is, everybody's kind of pointing the finger at Mozilla Firefox, which is typically a very stable browser. But everybody I know has had Firefox. You even had issues on your Mac, Tim. Twice it crashed. And Macs never have any problems at all. Ever. They are flawless, not unlike Tim Riley himself. So uh, my theory is that there's some upgrade, patch, whatever, that they've done to Firefox that is, is sort of caused it to lock up. So that was what screwed us yesterday. Well, we'll... soon it's going to become Fired Fox <laughs> if they keep this up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley. And as we all draw nearer to All Hallows' Eve, we take a moment to ponder the marriage of the musical and the morbid, the terrifying and the tuneful. From the silver screen to the sinister soundtrack, these are the top five rock songs from a horror film. And so what I've done here is I've merged two different lists. I was trying to create the best rock songs from a horror film, and then I was trying to create the cheesiest songs from a horror film. And I couldn't come up with more than like four for each list. And so then I talked to Chris Paddock about it, and he, I just sort of merged everything together. So uh, there are, in fact, seven songs on this top five list, and that's just going to have to be okay with everybody, because I, I couldn't cut anything on it. I did the best I could. We're okay with this. Yeah. All right. Let's hope it works. Honorable mention number one is Shocker, the entire soundtrack. So this is uh, the entire soundtrack to the Wes Craven film Shocker. Let's have no illusions about this. Shocker is a terrible film. I mean, when I was in high school, I think I said when it came out, I would have been maybe 16, and it seemed sort of passably good then. Really looking back now, it's just a, it's awful. There's only a couple notable things about the movie Shocker. One is that it stars Peter Berg, who then went on to direct, most notably, Friday Night Lights. Um, and also... Uh, what the hell else did Peter Berg direct? Oh, very bad things. It's also got a really wonderful and terrible soundtrack. 
This is the title track to the movie Shocker. This is a band called The Dudes of Wrath. The Dudes of Wrath is Paul Stanley from Kiss, Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. I don't know, like some guy from Wasp, like some other dude from White Lion. Wait for it. I mean, you know I love me the 80s rock, but you listen to this and you really do realize why Nirvana had to happen. I had these grand plans the other day of making a shocker montage where it was going to be this. It was going to be uh, Timeless Love by Soraya and Sword in the Stone by Bonfire. Uh, I really just ended up using this one. The only other good thing about Shocker is that it starts Mitch Pileggi, who then went on to be, uh, what's his name, Skinner in the X-Files. And there is one really, really good sinister line when he's talking to Peter Berg about how he killed Peter Berg's girlfriend. And he does that great Mitch Pileggi thing where he, he clenches his teeth and he goes, she died real hard. That's the only good thing about the movie. Everything else is crap. Oh, and there's a cover of an Alice Cooper song. Anyway, so there you go. That's it. That's the first honorable mention, Tim Riley. Honorable mention number two, Alice Cooper, the man behind the mask. This is another bad song. I love Alice Cooper, but... This is an Alice Cooper song. This is Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. By the way, that's the best entry in the series. Don't believe anybody who tells you differently. Super fan. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, look, brother needs a hit. <laughs> Alice got to eat. So uh, this was Friday the 13th 6, which again is the best in the series, hands down. Far and away the best of the Friday the 13th. And I've seen them all dozens of times. And then Alice Cooper was in this sort of synth pop thing. You know, that's the sound of Jason coming through the screen, by the way. Um, so Alice Cooper was in this sort of synth-pop mode because he had sort of a hit with a song called We're All Clones, which was you know, sort of a new wave thing later covered by the Smashing Pumpkins, of all people. And I can just go back to the well, work once, it'll work again. And so everybody remembers the song not because it's good, but because the radio just seemed to play it all the time. It's just one of those songs you couldn't get away from, and then about six months later we were all done with it and nobody ever wanted to hear it again. Uh, top five rock songs from a horror film, Tim Riley. Number five, the Dickies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Great song, great band, great movie. Yeah. Killer Clowns from Outer Space still holds up, by the way. I saw this when I was like six and was just horrified by it. Have you seen it again since then? I, I can't. You should watch it. It really, um, it stands up as a film. Because it was a little, it was a little tongue-in-cheek, even you know, when they made it, and it's not that it's campy as such, but it has this weird surrealist flair to it. Because the clowns don't look like, they don't look like regular normal human clowns. Where it's a guy with face paint. I mean, they are these strange animatronic puppet things. Mm-hmm. But when you're a child, it's just terrifying. I will tell you this: the greatest moment in Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is a film made by the Kyoto Brothers. Available now in a deluxe edition with documentary and commentary, by the way. I strongly advise that you buy it. The great thing about Killer Clowns from Outer Space, well, there's three great things. One is, what's his name? Um, John Warner? John Vernon? The guy that played Dean Warmer in Animal House, he's in there. There is also a great sequence where some clowns are approaching a security guard, and they've got these... uh, 
they've got these sort of like cream pies that are filled with, with acid, and they end up melting the guy into a pile of bones. But there's a great moment where the security guard looks at the clowns, and he, it's all in his delivery, and he says, What you gonna do with them pies, boys? Which for some reason, I struck all of us as the funniest thing we'd ever heard, and we walked around for weeks afterward going, What you gonna do with them pies, boys? Um, was that it? Was that? Oh no, no, no! And there's one great moment in the Killer Clowns from Outer Space movie that is flat out terrifying. It's where they're in like a McDonald's or a Burger King, some sort of hamburger fast food restaurant, and there's a mom and her little daughter who's like maybe six, and they're eating at the restaurant. And you know how like those fast food joints, they've all got the playground for the kids outside, you know, like the McDonald's playground. And the little girl, she hears a tapping at the glass, and the little girl looks over. And there's a clown standing outside the restaurant, and he's doing, like, the finger curl, like the come here little girl. It gives me chills just thinking about it. It's flat-out terrifying. So that right there, all that, that's worth the price of mission alone. There you go. Killer clowns from outer space, Tim Riley. Number four, Dokken, Dream Warriors. Yeah. This is another, this is another bad song. This is from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Also the best of the series. I think they played this when they came to town last year. Uh, Dream Warriors is the one with the return of Heather Langenkamp. And then it, it deals with all the kids in the group home who are nuts from being stalked by Freddy. Right. And then at the end, there's a little dollhouse where the light turns on. Here's a little fun fact about, uh, about Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Nightmare on Elm Street 3 was written by Frank Darabont, who went on to write Shawshank Redemption, The Majestic, The Mist... And Frank Darabont, he's a messed up human being. There's something deeply broken inside Frank Darabont. And here's why. Because if you think about Nightmare on Elm Street and you think about Freddy Krueger, this sort of gets glossed over because Freddy Krueger's become very much an anti-hero. I mean, there's people dressing as Freddy Krueger. There was a Freddy Krueger doll. Weren't there Freddy Krueger shoes? Yeah. No, yeah. don't get me started on those. <laughs> I actually met a guy a few weeks ago who owns a pair of those, and I was so jealous. He bought them on the, the gray market, we might say, for like 150 bucks. Um... But, you know, there was a Freddy Krueger doll where you pull the string and he goes like, Hey, I'm Freddy Krueger. And, you know, he was marketed to children. Freddy Krueger is a child molester. I mean, that's the thing about Freddy yeah. Krueger. He is, I mean, I'm not trying to be horrible, I but I mean. forget that part. Freddy Krueger is a child molester who then, yes, cut up children with razor blades. And I think set them on fire. So, Frank Darabont, though, wrote Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is the movie where Freddy Krueger became funny and became a lovable sort of comic relief guy. And that's how warped Frank Darabont is. That's why it's no surprise that he went on to do The Mist, which is an equally warped film. That he was able to take a murderous pedophile and actually make him like a kooky guy that you sort of liked. So, there you go. Doc and Dream Warriors from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Tim Riley. Fastway After Midnight. This is uh, number three. Fastways After Midnight. This is from the movie Trick or Treat with Mark Price. Featuring cameos by Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, Fastway, I think, it was started by Fast Eddie Clark from Motorhead. I can already see, by the way, that this one didn't buffer enough. And prepare for disappointment in three, two, there we go. Uh, so before we move on from this awkward bit of radio silence, I'll just say that night, uh, the, the, After Midnight by Fastway is from the movie Trick or Treat, which is great. It is, it's the most 80s horror film in a certain way, and that way is this. It is about a deceased rock and roller named Nuke, who is played by Gene Simmons, 
Nuke comes back to life after Mark Price, who is Skippy from Family Ties, plays his record backward at midnight on Halloween. There you go. Bam. And it features Ozzy Osbourne as a televangelist. Uh, these top five rock songs from a horror film, Tim Riley. Number two, The Ramones, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery, obviously, from the movie, the same name, based on the Stephen King books of the same name. This is a song that only the Ramones could really pull off. That Joey Ramone could sing seriously the lines, I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Fantastic. Because he's Joey Ramon. Mm-hmm. Two great things about the movie Pet Cemetery. One is that awful sequence where Fred Gwynn is standing by his bed and the kid comes out with a razor blade and cuts his Achilles tendon. That's no good. Uh, there is also a great sequence where the... This sounds awful. But the sequence where the kid is run down by the truck... The lead-up to that is fantastic because they're just cutting back and forth from the kid playing in the road and the truck driver downshifting and gaining speed while listening to Sheena as a punk rocker. That is just a ratchet up the tension and then there's the big, uh, you know. Then Gage is in the grill, baby. Great song. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are at number one, number one rock song from a horror film, Tim Riley. Number one ACDC, Who Made Who? Uh, who Made Who from the uh, sort of a compilation album of the same name from the Stephen King joint Maximum Overdrive. This is a really unbelievably bad film. Starring uh, Emilio Estevez and uh, some other guy. Based on the uh, Stephen King short story, Trucks, I think. You'll know Maximum Overdrive is the movie that has the uh, it has the the semi truck with a big goblin face on the front of it. The only good thing about Maximum Overdrive is two things. One is this song, and then uh, and the entire score is actually by ACDC. That's the first and only time that they've really done that. The entire soundtrack is by ACDC. And then there's a sequence where a guy is looking into a gas nozzle, and they do this great little bit of directing because, of course, the, the premise of Maximum Overdrive is that machines have started to rebel against humans. And you already know what's coming, but they make you wait for it, which is really the only good suspensible moment of the movie. The guy's pumping gas, and he does this great... It's like where they find just a little bit of a chink in your psychic armor, something that you're not probably prepared to see, and the guy, he can't get the gas to pump, and so he just takes the gas nozzle, and he does the thing of like putting it right up to his eye to look down in there, and then he doesn't do anything. Then he tries to pump it again, and then he brings it back, and he looks into it again right up to his eye, and then he tries to... Pump and then the third time, he puts the gas nozzle right through his eye. There you go, gasoline right in the eye. There's a movie full of bad acting, terrible directing, awful writing, atrocious set design. That moment and this song, though, they make it worth watching. Hello, Tim Riley. Well, I'm glad we finally made it through that. Me, too. I was afraid it was never going to happen. Once we give ourselves ample time, we can accomplish anything. That's true, Tim. <laughs> Ten years in Portland approved. <laughs> Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the air all the way, all the way through Lycus. We will return around the corner. We'll wrap it up around uh, after this. 503-733-2970. Lycus next. Michael Maris show at 7. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Go nowhere. 
Why, hello. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, this email says, Rick, I cast my vote for Senator Barack Obama, and then I wrote you in for all other positions in Oregon. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Make a note of it. Uh, tomorrow, I guess, we'll include Aaron Durand uh, from geekinthecity.com and filmfeverradio.com. Uh, we will also be talking. Uh, he's going to bring in his own... I think he's bringing in top five scores or from a horror film, something like that. He's some some horror movie list. Uh, so we will do that uh, tomorrow, and of course, uh, be, uh, moving. So, so two things: basically, Halloween stuff tomorrow, and then also looking forward to Tuesday uh, when Ray, uh, Rick Emerson Joe's political party is going to be happening Tuesday, November fourth, seven p.m. at Grand Central Bowl. Uh, Nathan Morrison in beautiful southeast Portland, uh, along with the Willamette Week and the Oregon Bus Project. So Tim Riley will be broadcasting there all night long. Uh, we will all be there. Uh, we're going to have uh, talking to some folks from CNN Radio. So that is all happening next Tuesday, November 4th, 7 p.m., Grand Central Bowl, brought to you by Taboo Adult Video and Powell's Books at Cedar Hills Crossing. All right, before we go any, uh, any further here, so I'm going to uh, kill two birds with one stone. Somebody is uh, criticizing me for leaving this song off the list, and then someone else, <laughs> James, criticized me for getting some of my film trivia wrong. So let's uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show to the strains of Rob Zombie. This is the title track from House of a Thousand Corpses, and I should have put this on the list. That was a terrible movie. I anyway. suck. I, uh, it's a terrible movie. This is a great song, though. Oh, no, undoubtedly. Rob Zombie's strength lies in music, not in movie making. Yeah. I firmly believe that. The House of a Thousand Corpses is a movie that I really wanted to like. Oh, yeah. You know? If he hadn't ripped off Motel Hell and... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it probably would have been a decent Motel film. Hell, one yeah. of the best, cheesiest movies yeah. ever. It takes Big all time. kinds of critters to make Farmer Vincent critters. <laughs> uh, In your face! Yeah. That's okay. You know, this song is stolen from Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. So there you go. Um, so I wanted to like this movie I have never seen, and that just makes me a bad geek. I have never seen Devil's Rejects, which I hear is a lot better. Uh, I hear people who I know people who didn't like House of a Thousand Corpses who like Devil's Rejects, which I haven't seen. If if you did not see House of a Thousand Corpses, then yes, you would probably like Devil's Rejects. My thing is, is scary movies shouldn't just be solely about gore. That's just how I feel well, about it. Well, House uh, uh, Devil's Rejects really wasn't that gory. Really, it was more psychological. See, I didn't watch it after I saw the first one. I was like, I kind of wrote it off. And I saw his, you know, and again, he has another thing I wanted to be good. I wanted his remake of Halloween to be good, and it wasn't. It was. And awful. I and I didn't even and look. And here's the thing: I didn't even see the 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 theatrical cut. I saw Rob Zombie's cut of that film. Uh, you know, his unadulterated vision. Because you know, the studio made him change a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. I saw the Rob Zombie cut, and it was crap. So I can't even imagine how bad the theatrical. Well, I, I saw was. the theatrical, and and from the opening credits, I was yeah. just sad. Yeah, it's, the moment when. And it, I'm a huge Halloween franchise yeah. fan, and I thought if anyone could kind of, you know, revamp right. it and make it really interesting, it would be Rob Zombie. And, but he just and he just chokes. That's the thing, and he, and it. it uh, it sounds like we're over you know, we're over dramatizing all of this and its impact in our life, but it, it does really kind of make me sad because you because American horror films are just so bad most of the time. It's been you know except with the, you know, we've done with the Mist, the Mist was great, but by and large American horror films have become unthreatening, unscary, and you're thinking, okay, Rob Zombie's gonna he's gonna put some teeth back into it, and then they're, just, they're never good. As, as soon as the kid is sitting with the clown mask listening to Love Hurts by Nazareth, I was like, that's it. Like this yeah. movie is in the toilet. This is a terrible film I'm watching. 
So. When it when it got into the meat of the film, it was like, okay, uh, you might get it, you might get it, and then, you know, epic fail. And, and can I also say this, just little, uh, you know, like Dear Abby used to do the confidential, you know, confidential to Wandering in Wichita, confidential from me to Rob Zombie, quit filling your movies with hillbilly rednecks. I'm tired of that. <laughs> Seriously, it, it, you know what it is? It's a bunch of movies with people with bad hair and no teeth shouting at each other for the whole film. It is just, it's a bunch of guys who probably smell like stale milk. And a screaming wife. Yeah, yelling over the, lead, yeah. over the kitchen table. That exactly. The beauty of Halloween was that you didn't know what set Michael Myers off. Right. And what Rob did was ruin it by taking the stereotypical behaviors that yeah, supposedly just, make a serial killer. It's just all that, you know, it's his only thing. He can all, he only has the one trick of just writing. It's like a, hey, look at these hicks thing. Yeah. Uh, trick or treat. All right, what did I get wrong? Okay, you said that Gene Simmons was the deceased rock star, Nuke. and um, Rick Emerson, I have to say, you're wrong! Yeah. Gene Simmons played Nuke, yes, but Nuke was actually the morning show DJ ah. of the local radio station who ah. gave the last copy of the Sammy Kerr album. I'm sorry. That brought that made Skippy bring Sammy Kerr back to life. Lose. All right. Yes. And another point, um, you're wrong. Friday the 13th, part six, was not the best one. It was part four. Really? Part four. Well, all right. I know that, that you look. Here's the thing. We're going to be giving away tickets, actually, to see Friday the 13th, four on the big screen in a couple weeks. I am kind of looking forward to the remake that comes out in February. Eh. I've seen a lot of stuff from it, and it looks good. But, again, clips don't do the movie justice. James Robinson, part of Musicology with Kristen Bowie on Sunday night, 7 the night. Uh, like us next, Michael Maris Show at 7. Thank you to Kristen for uh, ably filling in for Sarah Dillon today. Uh, Tim Riley at the uh, Ministry of Truth. Uh, Richie Bristol on the phones and uh, so forth. You know the drill. Do it yourself here. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. Thanks for listening. Watch it for snakes. Bye. Shiny, a slang term for great use in the television series Firefly and the movie Serenity.